0: Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money saver tire and service deals today. Dobbs, with 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
2: Drill to Right. That one get Get up. gone! on. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? What an attack! From Anthony Rizzo,
3: an absolute marathon. Is he excited? Two-to-pitch is hit in the air to left center field. Back at the wall and is gone. Puts the Cubs up two to one. Here's one into
1: right, absolutely crushed and gone. Alcantara gets number two on the year, and Sergio gives the Cubs their four-run
4: lead back. All right, that's how we start off with some positivity on a Friday. Yeah, right, Tanner? Tanner Hendrickson, ladies and gentlemen. He has the Cardinals come off a series win against the Giants a day off, and then he puts together a an opening bed that sounds like that against the Cubs.
5: Well, you know, I just don't want to see that happen again, so I thought maybe if I bring up the negative trying to TKO now, it, right? Yeah, a little TKO on the Cubbies.
4: I like your I idea. Don't, I don't know if they need help. Opposites they kind of suck right now. That's... That never works in our favor. Well, welcome everyone in, and a happy Friday. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That voice is Tanner Hendrickson, T-Bone, who is getting out of the producer's chair and jumping into the co-host chair as BK is on vacation. This chair's nice. And then look at this. We got our guy, Marshy, Marshmallow, in studio as the third voice on BK and Ferrario. Marshy, what's up, my man? How's it going, guys? All right. We got a hockey guy. We got a guy who's super negative and Tanner, and then you got me. Alex BK's
5: out. Someone's got to take over that Someone job. does
4: have to take over. But look, it's a big series that starts this weekend, and it starts this afternoon against the Chicago Cubs. Three out in Wrigley before you head into the All-Star break. Cardinals, of course, still chasing the Milwaukee Brewers. Cubs really aren't chasing anything ever anymore after their general manager Jed Hoyer yesterday basically said, "Well, we're open for business, boys. Trade deadline. Everyone's on the table." So it sure sounds like the Chicago Cubs are selling. Which, in my opinion, puts an awful lot of emphasis on this series for the Cardinals against the Cubs. Because if you go into Wrigley and you scuffle like you did against this Cubs team that you did on June 11th, 12th, 13th, that they lost all three. Then I think the panic alarms, the danger tones, whatever you want to call them, the panic bus is revving or hitting the button. You have to go into Wrigley, T-Bone. And you have to find a way to take two of three, if not sweep this team that has declared themselves sellers.
5: Yeah, I'm with you. You got to You gotta take care of the business because now you're coming off this momentum with this win against the Giants, taking two of three. And that was a series that we went into. And let's be honest, we didn't really see that coming. So you got a little bit of that momentum built. The offense has played better in the last 10 games. And you look at the Cubs are 2-12 and 12 in their last 14 games. They just snapped an 11-game losing streak on Wednesday. They got crushed again the other day they were outscored during that 11 game losing streak 83 to 35 i mean that's uh, they're not playing well offensively they're dealing with a little bit of injuries as i think i heard david kaplan say on the danny mac show brian was I think pulled last night because of a hamstring tightness again so
4: yeah okay hamstring tightness we're trying to keep this guy healthy for the trade deadline
5: yeah so you got to go in you got to take care of business and it's going to be tough because today they get Kyle Hendricks so a guy that you know Cy Young against the Cardinals and then you've got Zach Davies who's been okay against the Cardinals but you got Adam Wainwright going on Sunday so that's a game you probably should win and then you look at KK going on Saturday KK's been really good of late coming off his seven inning performance against the Giants and then you've got Wade LeBlanc going today and he's a strike thrower so i look at this series and i'm with you you do not take two out of three your momentum's kilt heading into the all-star break and honestly it puts john moseley in a really tough uh, situation if they can't take care of business yeah look it's a 121st
4: pitch today as t-bone mentioned you got wade leblanc on the mind you got kyle Hendricks on the other side we're waiting to see what this lineup looks like because i think that's going to say an awful lot for the cardinals as well but it also says a lot for John Moselock and company watching this matchup. Because, look, as you mentioned, the Cubs are reeling right now. Cubs really have kind of dropped off. Other than that one victory they had, they had lost 10 in a row. And then last night, Brad Miller-Milsey decides to take care of business himself and hit three home runs against the Chicago Cubs team. And for me, I think you do have to avoid the trap game situation going into this series because – from an outsider's perspective if you're a cardinal you're looking at it saying well look the cubs just admitted to selling right like they're not going to be motivated in this one but on the flip side of that if you're the chicago cubs i do think that some momentum has been sucked away from you because i mean it's kind of different of perspective right because the cubs are sitting here about the same total of games back that the cardinals are in the nl central and they have basically said no we're open for business everyone's available we'll trade chris bryant we'll trade craig kimbrell wherever you want to go give us a call But the Cardinals are behind the Cubs in the standings and they're the ones that are also chasing the Cincinnati Reds and Milwaukee Brewers. And from their perspective, it's a it's a easy task to climb that ladder and catch back up in the NL Central. So you have two different of opinions. But if you're a clubhouse right now with the Chicago Cubs, I think there might be a little bit of an extra fire on that side because basically your GM said it's over for us.
5: Yeah, I I am curious. That's a good point. I'm curious to see how the Cubs come out in this series. Is it going to be as simple as, wait, 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 wait. We shouldn't be like We want to give this one final run. Let's try and go on a run. Or is it they're just going to roll over and kind of die? All right, we're going to be, I'm going to be here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be here. It will be interesting to see how the Cubs come out and play this series. I, I, I found it funny yesterday, Jed Hoyer saying, oh, before this 11-game losing streak, we we were in the buyer's market. Yeah, I call BS on that. Right, Jed, I calm ca-
4: down. I call BS on that. There's no way you looked at that team where Chris Bryant and Scott Boris, they ain't re-signing with you. You have a team that already dealt a guy who won the Cy Young for you last season anthony rizzo can't come to a contract situation with you javi baez is one that i think a lot of people look at and say okay is he going to be resigned there's no way you looked at this and said oh well back in may we were thinking we're going to buy in this scenario this has always been a seller situation for the chicago cubs but with that being said that's why i put a lot of pressure on the cardinals in this circumstance t-bone because if you lose this series And I know we've talked a lot about this. You really don't have pieces to sell if you're John Mosellock. You know, maybe Waino, we talked about that yesterday. Maybe Andrew Miller, maybe KK, if he continues his his strength. But you don't really have pieces to sit there and say, well, we're going to become sellers. But I definitely view it this way, that if you lose to a team that has already admitted to being sellers at the deadline... You become a team that does not fall into the category of wanting to buy anytime soon.
5: Yeah, I'm with you because you're tied right now in the standings both nine and a half back. So you lose two of three or you get swept. You're fourth in the NL Central and you could be 10 games back. And I've always again, apparently I was the only one who heard of this saying before that if you're 10 games back by the All-Star break, then you're out of it. Yeah, that's not a real saying. That is a real saying. I I can't believe you guys haven't heard that before. I don't think so. But if you lose this series, I think you have you have to really consider selling because you look at what do you have to come out of the All-Star break, who do you get again? You get San Fran and you get the Cubs at home. Now, maybe you can sit back just a little bit longer and say, okay, can we turn it around here at home against these two teams? Maybe. But I think Mo's mindset will have to really kind of switch or at least lean kind of heavily towards being quote-unquote sellers or even just standing pat. Not even looking to add a piece, just standing pat if you lose two of three in this series because you're going to be behind the Cubs, you're going to be behind the Reds, you're going to be behind the Brewers, and the Brewers are going to add. The Cubs, like you said, are sellers. So what's that tell you? If you're behind them in the standings at the All-Star break and they're sellers, you could leapfrog them. And then the Reds are kind of a big question mark. Are they going to add? Can they turn this around? They're playing the uh, Brewers now, and they lost to them again last night. So I think you lose this series... Again, a panic button, maybe, but I I think it definitely starts to lean the Cardinals towards that sell or very much stay put uh, kind of trade deadline mindset. I'm going to say something that might
4: drop your jaw here for a minute, T-Bone and Marshy. Okay. I'm really not as concerned with the pitching going into this matchup against the Cubs this weekend. I'm more so looking at the offense because it feels like it's been trending in the right direction, But as we've mentioned, you're going up against Kyle Hendricks, who has an awful lot of success against you. You're going up against Zach Davies, who has shown that he can beat you. And then you're going up against Trevor Williams on that final game, who, look, in all honesty, it's a guy you should beat. All three of these guys are guys you should be able to take to the woodshed, with the exception of Kyle Hendricks. So as much as I sit here and say, oh, wow, you got Wade LeBlanc on the mound, and what's going to KK give you? You know Wayno's going to be awesome on a Sunday afternoon. I'm more curious about what this offense does because you went out there against the san francisco giants who were the best team in the nl west one of the best teams in the national league right now and you found a way to put runs up on them. what does nolan arenado do does he continue his pace does paul goldschmidt continue his pace does dylan carlson take that step where he's been struggling a little bit the last couple of times i know he's been getting on base but he hasn't been scoring the runs for you same with tommy Edmond. does tyler o'neill come back and is he effective for you i'm looking at this batting order and i'm sitting here saying Show me that you can beat this type of team because you didn't before the Giants. You couldn't beat the Rockies. You couldn't beat the Tigers. You couldn't beat the Pirates. And how did you lose those games? Because you only scored one run. You only scored two runs. So you're going out there, two or three pitchers, I'd argue that you should have them yanked in the third inning. You gotta go out and put those numbers up against the Chicago Cubs.
5: Are you saying you don't have faith in LeBlanc? No, I'm saying that I'm fine with LeBlanc. And even if he struggles, that's fine.
4: But your offense better go out there and find a way to put runs up. Because if you're going to tell me that you're a playoff contender and you're still considering buying and we're going to get into kind of what direction you go with buying – I got to know that my offense is set to do that because you're pitching. It's obvious that it's shorthanded right now. Now with Carlos on the injured list, we probably won't see him again. Uh, Earlier today, the uh, Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch was reporting that Johan Oviedo was optioned down. That's more so to get this guy continue to pitch throughout the All-Star break. You you know you're shorthanded on the pitching side. But what you need to know is, can your offense stand up? Because for the longest time you've played the season without a strong everyday lineup that you've projected, well, guess what? You're going to have it supposedly against the Cubs, as long as Tyler O'Neal's back in there. Go out there and show us that this is the lineup that can get some magic done.
5: That's a good point, because you're going to have that quote-unquote ideal lineup we've talked about all year, and you've only seen it, I think, four or five times. DeYoung left one game, oneill has been out the last couple because of the allergic reaction. So as much as the Cardinals have said, well, we're not healthy, well, now that offense has that ideal lineup, and they're going against their rival in the Cubs. So I don't know if I have concerns with the offense. I I am interested to see how they fare, and I guess I am concerned now that I think about it, because you're going against two guys that don't throw the ball hard. And and as you mentioned, Kyle Hendricks is an ace against the Cy Young, against the Cardinals, and Zach Davies has been okay this year. He doesn't look too bad when he's a— going against the Cardinals he doesn't throw hard so the Cardinals offense usually struggles against him so yeah I'm kind of with you the offense is something I'm going to keep an eye on and a guy that really needs to get going in the last 10 is Dylan Carlson Carlson's kind of struggled he's been on top of the uh, top of the batting order mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if they stick with him at the top where they move Edmund up who's played well in the last 10 but yeah I-, I think the offense is the concern my my other concern is just how can you get to the uh, big three in this series. That's my concern, because I LeBlanc can probably give you about four or five, as you mentioned. KK, you just don't know what you're going to get from him, so can you get him to go five, maybe six? Wayno, you feel pretty confident, so I'm curious to see how you can get to them. And then the other thing for me is also going to be how aggressive is Mike Schultz with the All-Star break coming up with that bullpen? Are the big three available for all three days coming off the off day, or how is he going to manage that? I'm very curious to see how he does that in this cup yeah, series. Yeah, well,
4: and look, you got two guys who are headed to the All-Star game in uh, Nolan Arenado and Alex Reyes, so it would seem that everyone else is going to kind of be, you know, all hands on deck to go out there and find a way to take down the Chicago Cubs. By the way, uh, Kyle Hendricks, the is right, on the mound, so I would imagine whenever this lineup comes out, T-Bone, that we'll see uh, Dylan Carlson as the leadoff because of those splits, what they've been doing. But with Nolan, are with um, with Tyler O'Neill back in the line, up I guess you never say never Uh, with what this comes down to. We had a lot of fun for you today here on BK and Ferrario. We are going to get into some hockey conversation, of course, with the Vladimir Tarasenko news these last couple of days. David Pinoda of the fourth period of Sirius XM for the National Hockey League. He just tweeted out a little bit ago that his sources are telling him that uh, there have been teams that have requested the medical records and received them on Vladimir Tarasenko. So he's going to join us at 1 o'clock. Former hitting coach for the Chicago Cubs. He's going to join us at 12.15. Uh, Jeff Pentland, he was a part of that team during the Maguire-Sosa battle, so we'll get into some fun stories there. But coming up next, I know a lot of prospect nerds out there, and I say nerds politely, kindly. Oh, whoa, I, we call, I know, we call BK a nerd all the time. But Jordan Walker, everyone's excited for this guy. John Moselock's even excited because the numbers he said comps to Albert Pujols and Oscar Taveras in the minors. Jordan Walker has been tearing it up in A-ball. He is going to join us next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
6: In terms of
3: Jordan Walker, gosh, it's uh, enormously exciting. I mean, like, you think of, like, players at that age that have put up those kind of numbers since I've been here, you probably would say Albert Pujols, and the other one would be Oscar Tavares, and, you know, that's pretty high company or high cotton when you think about, like, you know, what that means. And so to see him having that kind of success is really exciting, especially doing it down in that ballpark where... For all of us that you know, used to cover the Florida State League or go down there, you know how, how difficult of a place that is to play or hit, um, especially in those hot, humid months.
4: That was Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak a few weeks ago talking about Jordan Walker, the 19-year-old who is making some noise down in the minors. And it is a pleasure to welcome him now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line here on BK and Ferrario, along with Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How about you guys? You're doing fantastic, man. So give us a little idea. What is it like being 19 years old and having everyone talk about you and Major League Baseball in the pipeline right now?
7: Oh, um, it's cool. It's exciting, man. I've always wanted to be a baseball player ever since I was little, man. So, I mean, being able to do it, um, I guess, at this young of an age, is, is really cool to me, and I, I just want to play as long as I can. But, you know, it's really exciting. So being out of Georgia,
4: Jordan, I mean, obviously the Atlanta Braves, you talk about Chipper Jones, some teams that won a couple of World Series back in the day. I mean, that's a hotbed for baseball. So what got you into the game? Was it individual players? Was it just the team? Or was it just the sport all around for you to get out there and play?
7: Actually what got into the, me into the game was probably uh, my brother, my dad, and my grandfather. I uh, was first introduced to baseball when I was two. And I went to one of my brother's uh, little, uh little league games. Actually, my grandfather, uh, my grandfather was the coach of it. And so my parents could tell straight off the bat that I loved baseball. I used to run around the bases after every game. I used to sleep with, with the bat and the glove in my head. So they knew, <laughs> they knew that I would, I would love baseball and, and, Sure enough, I really did, and so that's pretty much how I got introduced to it. And um, ever since then, you know, it just took off, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So, <laughs> Jordan, you've been playing
5: baseball since you since two there, and I'm curious. You know, last year we have this pandemic that occurs, and then there's no minor league baseball season, and you get drafted. What was it like to have a year where sure there was a summer camp and you got to go to that, but what was it like where there was no competitive action?
7: Honestly. It was a little tough, honestly. So um, everything was was thrown off a little bit. Uh, last year, you know, after the draft, I expected kind of like to go maybe to the GCL, start playing. It was a little weird, but what I was really excited about was getting able to spend some time at the alternate site and spend some time with the guys who are, you know, either right knocking at the door of the MLB or already in the MLB. Some guys who are playing in the MLB right now, I got to face some of their pitching. And that was really cool because, I learned like what it takes to be able to hit that pitching, and I learned from the batters there. I learned from the pitchers there. Um, even though I wasn't on like the the 60 man roster, 40 man roster, um, I still got to learn with uh, uh, my other draft beat, drafty drafty uh, Mason win. It was it was really cool to learn from those people, and so it was a great experience. And now that was a cool introduction into you know the, the regular minor league se- season, low A, and then now being in high A. Um, it was just really cool to learn, and I'm really excited for us to come. So you know that was a good, I guess, um, substitute for what happened, but I'm still really bummed out that I missed on up, uh, off on some you know earlier baseball. But uh, it, you know it, it it is what it is.
4: I think that's what's so impressive. And again, we're talking with Jordan Walker, Cardinals uh, minor league prospect, now playing for the Peoria Chiefs. Uh, he's with us here on BK and Ferrario. Not having that. I guess games basically to play in 2020 when you were drafted Jordan. Then of course this season you start in a ball Palm beach. And we just heard John Moselock talk about how difficult of a park that is to hit. in. and you had success immediately. I mean, what went into just the success you found once you started in Palm beach this season?
7: Um, I think it was just the coaching there was phenomenal. So I went into um, spring training, didn't really feel like myself all that much um, inconsistent swing But um, our hitting coach, Daniel Nicholson, he really helped me uh, broken the video with me right before the season, before the first game. And then my first swing in the first game, I felt like, oh, yeah, this is me. Let me just keep (laughs) repeating what I'm doing. So I think it was really the coaching and people around me, man. This organization is a really good organization. And and anything that I need, um, they can provide for me, whether it's like hitting base, fielding base, all the coaching. Like, I just feel so comfortable here. Um, And if I'm struggling with something, um, they'll help me figure it out. And soon enough, maybe I'll I'll just feel like my old self again, whether I'm struggling or if I'm doing really well, they let me know um, how to keep on continuing how to do it. So, you know, everything here, they have all the tools. I really do credit the Cardinals on that.
4: Speaking of the uh, the coaching and the learning, I mean, you get to work with a uh, legend here in St. Louis by the name of okay. Jose Oquendo. Uh What has that been like for you working with Jose, and how helpful has he been for you in terms of defense, in terms of hitting, and just all around your game?
7: Oh, man, it's, it's been wonderful, man. He's shown me so much about the game. He's actually helped me rethink the way defense is supposed to be played and just other aspects of the game, base running, things I didn't even think about, whether it's where it be, like, whether whether it be um, from when I'm the cutoff man or my positioning on a bunt play. It's just every little thing he breaks down, and those little things are really what help you get to my goal, which is I want to be an MLB player. So, I mean, it's been great. He's He's been like, I don't know, Everything I had a question about, he's had an answer to. And so, you know, having someone like that really does make you feel comfortable and happy about, you know, what's to come. So it's been great. It's been a joy.
5: Jordan, I'm curious. Uh, Earlier in the season, Harrison Bader went on the IL and then he went on a rehab stint and he was there in Palm Beach. Did you get a chance to uh, talk with Harrison, pick his brain, talk about what it's like uh, at the big league level and just talk some hitting and defense with him at all?
7: Um, I didn't get to talk to him too much. He was there for a hot second, but it was really fun to watch him him play. Like he, the way he carries himself is definitely the essence of an MLB player. So it was really cool to be around him. Hopefully next time I'll get a chance to pick his brain a little bit. But you know, it was still cool to be around him for the few days that he was in Palm Beach.
4: So Jordan, I got to know uh, a lot of people were talking about how unfair it was to watch uh, Noah Syndergaard, Jacob Degrom, yeah. just go out there and throw against these a ball uh, a ball hitters. Um, But I would imagine that's beneficial for a a kid like you, right? To where you can just see what that major league talent is. And I mean, that's the best of the best when you talk about Jacob DeGrom.
7: Oh, yeah. Um, It really uh, makes you rethink baseball when you're getting 102 (laughs) painted on the corners on you. But, uh, man, it was great, honestly. It was a quick at-bat for me, but still, I I really did enjoy it. Um, Just knowing what the MLB players are facing and and learning how to hit it early on in my career. because. Not a lot of the guys, um, in low a got that opportunity to face them. So, you know, I was really glad the whole team was glad to face them and, and, and learn what it takes to hit the best of the best. So, um hopefully I can get to that bat against them. I want some I want some payback. But, you know, it was it was fun all in all to face all those guys. So it was really cool. So Jordan, you're at
4: about 34 plate appear or 35 plate appearances so far in eight games with Peoria since the promotion from Palm Beach, and a lot of success in Palm Beach. Uh, from your perspective, what's been the biggest difference going from A ball to A plus in Peoria?
7: Um, a lot less mistakes, um, honestly. There's a lot less mistakes. Um, they don't. They will not miss down the middle twice. So if you get one down the middle, you got to be able to hit it. Um, So, you know, hats off to them. They're pitching and then their, their stuff's also a little bit better than it is in low a Um, movement um, fastball. Maybe it it rises. It feels like it's rising high spin rate fastballs or sinking fastballs. Their their stuff's a little bit better and they don't make as many mistakes, a lot more accuracy on painting the corners and everything. So hats off to them. Um, Just getting adjusted to this high pitching, but you know, it's, it's, it is really cool to see. And, you know, I can't wait to continue. So.
4: Jordan, a couple more questions for you, buddy. And we appreciate the time hopping on with us. Most to,
7: definitely.
4: Most definitely. Uh, um, uh, I wanted to just get your thoughts in general of the, uh, the third baseman that's playing for the Cardinals right now, of course, a third baseman yourself, I would imagine any chance you have to, to watch, see highlights of Nolan Arenado is just a uh, benefit, correct?
7: Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. I just, I just like, you know, watching him play, man. It, it, it really, is. you can't really say anything else. He just, a great player in the great third baseman. So I just love watching them play. That's about it. And then final,
4: and then final one for you, buddy, as a, uh, as a 19 year old. So I heard through the grapevine that you're a big, uh, big PlayStation five guy, correct? MLB the show.
7: (laughs) Yes, sir. Of course. So, so
4: I got to know, does Jordan Walker create a player of himself? And does he just rise that player through the rankings as quick as possible,
7: Hey, you have to. Once you get over this show, you have to make a player for yourself. So that's exactly the first <laughs> thing I did when I got in the game. So yeah, most definitely. He's uh he's getting himself in the rankings right now. Uh, show. I love it,
4: Jordan. Well you're rising through the rankings too, man. We appreciate the time today hopping on with us, man. Good luck the rest of this season, uh, down in Peoria and we look forward to talking to you uh again soon this season.
7: Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. It really, it really was a joy. Thank you so much.
4: Definitely. There you go. Jordan Walker, the Cardinals third base prospect in high A ball with the Peoria Chiefs. Uh, just from that nine minute conversation, guys, I'm going to love this kid. I am too. I, I mean, he's going to be a guy that you need to watch. I mean, look, he's already gone from A ball to high A ball in his first season. This guy was drafted 21st overall in 2020, guys.
5: He was tearing it up in Palm Beach. Yes. Unbelievable. And, he had an OPS of uh, one one It's That's and I think, unbelievable. And
4: I think what's really important to take away from that interview is the fact that he didn't play any ball last year. Right? Think about being 18 years old. You get drafted by the Cardinals, and there's no camps. There's no real games for you
5: to go get work in. He did work at the alternate camp. And you heard him even say, too? that he he said I you know I didn't even feel kind of right in spring training yeah and and then you see what he does when he gets to Palm Beach and he tears it up in a ballpark that it's hard to hit in that's impressive and I, I am interested to see the rest of his trajectory this season I think we'll see him stay in Peoria but I I'm excited to see him when he gets up to the big league club.
4: Yeah, he's got a great attitude, man. I'm excited to watch Jordan Walker just continue to rise through the rankings, and uh, he's definitely a prospect that people need to keep their eyes on in the Cardinals system. He's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So, Vladimir Tarasenko, not happy with the Blues, wants to be traded. But how much of that ties into a young player, Blues winger who's starting to skyrocket. We'll dive into that next here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Well, we were going to get into some hockey conversation, but the Cardinals. What happened? Well, the Cardinals decided to do differently, boys. Uh, trade, big trade. Ah, we have a roster move.
5: Uh, those are always someone exciting. excited. Tell me, they brought back
4: Ramirez. They did not. All right, Come so on. the Cardinals just tweeted out a little bit ago. They have signed right-handed pitcher Luis Garcia to a free-agent contract. The retroactive move, Johan Oviedo, he was optioned to Memphis. We talked about that a little bit ago. That's mostly for Johan to pitch in Memphis, get reps in before, of course, uh, the second half of the season begins after the All-Star break. They also have moved Carlos Martinez to to the 60-day injured list.
5: He totally lost his thumb.
4: I don't know about that, and don't point up when you say that, but it does look like that Carlos probably won't be back this season after this move, but I guess never say never. So, Luis Garcia free agent contract, here's the problem though. I have googled Luis Garcia and there is about 5 or 6 Luis Garcias that play in major league baseball. Don't worry, I think I found him. I think I did too. So, this Luis Garcia Last pitched with the Texas Rangers in 2020. Had eight and a third inning and 11 appearances. Respectable 7.56 ERA. But this season he was in the Yankees minor league system. They released released him a couple of days ago. So Luis Garcia has now been added to the Cardinals roster, which is just adding arms, adding innings to a team that is very depleted with this. He's a right-handed pitcher. Again, he's played for the Texas Rangers. He's played for the Angels. He's played for the Phillies. Most recently, he's been in the Yankees minor league system. So Luis Garcia, he is now a St. Louis Cardinal, ladies and gentlemen. All
5: right. You know, his numbers aren't too bad, though. I mean, he's been bad the last three years, ERA of four six. And 7.56, but you go back to 2017, 66 appearances with Philadelphia is 2.65. You look at 2015, 3.51, and then 2013 and 24 games, he had a 3.73 ERA. So the Cardinals must see something that, uh, of course, we haven't seen because this is the first we've really heard of him, but... This is a good—I'm I, I, interested to see how this plays out. Add a little bit of support to the bullpen. Granted, it's not the exciting move that we all thought was coming when you said that, but it'll be curious. I'm curious to see what they do with him.
4: Yeah, so uh, Mike Schilt, of course, talk, spoke to the media a, a little bit ago, still waiting to see the uh, lineup, which we might steal the lineup game today. Who knows with this? But I, I will know. tell you this, Chicago Cubs lineup just came out, and Wilson Contreras is batting a leadoff for them. Nice. There's no Javier Baez in their lineup. Um, Anthony Rizzo's playing. No Chris Bryant in their lineup. Of course, the Cardinal killer, Patrick Wisdom, is in the lineup. Uh, so the Chicago Cubs got a little bit of a depleted lineup going into this one this afternoon. So, again, Luis Garcia has been signed. Carlos Martinez to the 60-day injured list. And Johan Oviedo option to Memphis. Should we
5: put him in the circle of trust or no. should we wait no, till no, he we are pitches? Not, no,
4: we don't put anybody in the circle of trust anymore, I mean, especially if some, he hasn't pitched. I've
5: got some, you know, Ryan Helsley maybe belongs back in there. Andrew uh, Andrew Miller. Roel Ramirez.
4: Roel Ramirez might be in witness protection right now, like Ponce de Leon is. Yeah, where do you think he went? I think Ponce is hurt, but we don't know that right now. Anyway, let's get back into a little Blues conversation. So, I teased it. Vladimir Tarasenko, of course, dissatisfied with the team. But how much of that ties into Jordan Cairo? Here was Jeremy Rutherford on Carriker in Smallman a couple of days ago, talking about if Vladdy's last game has been played for St. Louis.
7: uh,
2: he's gone. He's played his last game as a St. Louis blue. Uh, I think that uh, only if Doug Armstrong is getting no offers and just absolutely uh, can't move him would he be back? But at this point, I would have to say that that's uh, not a chance.
4: So, you know, the more I think about this, and we talked about this yesterday uh, after the show, T-Bone, a lot of this does tie into the way that Jordan Cairo played this past season. Because if you look at it, of course, Vladdy was out for the first portion of the season. He didn't come back until March 6th. And then when he returned, he was kind of in and out of the lineup with different types of injuries, but still played the remainder of the season with the Blues. But when Vladimir Tarasenko came back, Jordan Cairo started to go into a little bit of a dry spell. And before that, I mean, he was taking the league by storm. I mean, Some
5: said he'd be better than Vladdy.
4: Only one said that, and it was a terrible observation. No, that was you, buddy, unfortunately. But look, Jordan Cairo turned himself into a goal scorer. He was playing with Shannon Schwartz, and I mean, I think he had like eight or nine goals before the time that Vladimir Tarasenko came back. But then once Vladdy returned... They tried Jordan Cairo on the left side, played with Tarasenko, really didn't pan out so well. I went back and looked at it. Those two played four games together when Vladi returned. um, And, of course, Cairo was on the left side. They played with O'Reilly. They played with Braden Shen. And that line contributed to zero points and only four shots on goal for Jordan Cairo compared to a guy who had nine goals and about 20 points by the time that Vladi returned in early March. Tarasenko was a little bit Better with that. He had four points in those four games and 11 shots on goal. But here's where it got really interesting. As soon as they took Tarasenko off of that line and shifted Jordan Kyrou back to the right wing, that's where he got back to himself here. So I don't know if it's all tied into Jordan Kyrou, but I do think that the Blues really wanted to see where Kairou was turning into a top six forward. And so they started to put Vladdy on the third line. They started to put him on the second power play unit. They started moving him around, and I would imagine that ties into a little bit of of, um, Vladimir being a little disgruntled that he's not playing on the top six.
5: Yeah, I'm curious to your thoughts on this you know if you think that Kairo is ready to be in that top six role if you're the blues and you're saying you know what we think he's ready he had uh, 35 points last year 32 of the 35 points were at even strength so he wasn't even really on a power play so that's kind of impressive on its own there i look at it and i say if i'm the blues and i'm confident that jordan Kairo is going to take this next step and kind of not not get you the the point value or the goals that we saw from vladdy when he was in his prime but can take a good chunk of that and and take off some of this pressure from the rest of the guys, it makes me wonder, if you look at that and you say, you know what, we have faith in Cairo doing this. I know that they're in this win now uh, window. If you have faith, do you look more at maybe in the trade that we get when we trade Vladdy, do we look to get a pick and maybe a a bottom six guy on this and maybe we'll eat some money or if you look at if you're the blues and you say you know we're not ready we're not sure if kairu's ready for that maybe he needs another year to kind of develop to get into that top six then do you look at doing more of the hockey style trade maybe you look for a right winger or do you look on the free agent market for a right winger we already know they need a top left winger i'm curious your thoughts because i look at and i say if you have faith in kairu Maybe don't look for a hockey trade. Now, maybe you may have to. Maybe that's what it's going to come down to. But I look more for maybe some draft picks or maybe for a bottom six guy that can come in.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'll say this again with Vladdy. I think priority number one, as I said yesterday with BK, priority number one is finding somebody to take on as much of that contract as possible. If I got a team that's calling me and saying, hey, look, I'll give you this, but I'll eat all of his contract. I think I might take that because at the end of the day, what does Doug want? he wants cap space so you can go after some free agents or try and make a trade. Then priority one B would be trying to see if somebody would eat some of that salary, but also maybe make a hockey trade to get some guy off of your books. And I think the reason we've come to this point, one, yes, the medical staff is the side of this one. The reporting from Jeremy was phenomenal. Um, But it also kind of goes into the role of Vladimir Tarasenko, right? Like Craig Berube said that they wanted to see him be a power forward. They wanted him to go to the net. They wanted him to be a net front presence. And Vladdy doesn't like that. Vladdy wants to be a goal scorer. But you got Jordan Cairo right now who proves that he can be a goal scorer for you. He has shown that he can kind of put defensemen on their heels and break into the zone and take the same amount of shots that Vladimir Tarasenko does. But one of those two guys can't be playing on the third line for you. You can't be getting 13 minutes of ice time for Tarasenko. He's not going to be happy. You also can't be getting 13 minutes a night for Jordan Cairo because he was a difference
8: maker on the ice for you, and you need that difference maker on the ice for you. Well, even look at when Kyra was playing with Thomas and Hoffman on that third line. That was probably one of our more productive lines at the end of the year. But like you said, they're not getting that same amount of ice time that you would like to see – from Those players are not producing at the same amount that you would like to see if they were having top six minutes.
4: Yeah, well, and look, Jordan Kyru's a right winger, and I think that's the problem that you've fallen into. You tried him on the left wing, and he really didn't have as much success as he was having on the right wing. And again, he was having success when he played with Jaden Schwartz and Braden Shen uh, in the early portion of the season. So I, I guess the follow up to this would be. Do the expectations change for Jordan Kyrou now if Vladimir Tarasenko is not on the ice? Look, he's got 35 points in 55 games this past season, averaged about 14 and a half minutes on the ice. And before we answer that question, Doug Armstrong had a really interesting quote when he did his exit interviews with the media about a month ago and talked about the expectations for the team going into next season. There's three people that I think if they have the same season they had this year, next year, we're going to be happy, and that's that's Falk, that's Perron, and that's O'Reilly. Uh, I think the rest of us, starting with myself and the coaches and, and the rest of the players, we have to find a different level. We have to. Uh, some of us have to get a lot better, and some of us have to get one or two percent better. But it's amazing if everyone gets a little bit better, what that effect will have on the entire group. I think right there, Doug answers your question. The expectations change for Jordan Cairo. Now, do they go to, hey, Jordan, we need you to be a 40-goal scorer like Vladdy? No. Yeah, that'd be nice. That would be beautiful, but I don't think you're asking for that right now. What you're asking is, hey, Jordan, we need you to be a consistent threat on your second-line wing. You already know who your first-line right-winger is. It's David Perron. But Jordan Cairo now gets bumped to that second-line role as a right-winger. So, yeah, the expectations aren't, hey, just be what you were last year. Now you need to be better than what you were last year because now you're going to be looking at an 82 game schedule playing on that second line, getting closer to 16, 17, maybe 18 minutes a night. You might be playing on the power play if you don't bring back Hoffman, Schwartz or Tarasenko. So, yeah, the expectations absolutely change for Jordan Kyrou. And I'm very interested to see if he can handle those expectations because he did this season.
5: Yeah, he did this year. So it gives me the confidence heading into next year that he can. You heard at the back end of that cut there from Army, he said some guys just need to get 1% to 2% better. Well, I mean, if you just get a little bit better out of that from Cairo, then I I think he does fill that void for you. Now, again, like you said, you're not going to get the 40-goal score from Vladdy because he's kind of a different player he's more speed he will uh he's more of a kind of a rush guy in my opinion than i look at vladdy vladdy had the shot vladdy could get the puck on his stick and yeah. get it off quickly and get a shot past a goalie but I, I do think that the expectations will increase for kairu i i don't know about you I, i'm curious if they put him on the power play i'm curious how how he's going to translate to that do you think it's going to be a a smooth transition onto the power play for Jordan Cairo. Do you think he's going to take just a little bit? Because you're going to lose the sniper in Vladdy, and then you also you had Mike Hoffman doing that this year, and we assume that he's probably not going to be back as of right now. I wonder how it changes the Blues' power play dynamic.
4: I think that all comes down to what the offseason moves are for Doug Armstrong in terms of that top left winger, because we've talked about a, a net front presence, and that's going to be needed. Cairo's not going to be your net front presence, but Cairo can be like a Schwartz or a Tarasenko, but you got to find yourself a body to go in front of the net. We'll get more into the Blues offseason and Vladimir Tarasenko as we move along here today. David Panota of the fourth period, Sirius XM National Hockey League Radio is going to join us at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, get your questions to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We will do our best to answer those coming up next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Well, we officially have the Cardinals lineup. And because I respect the gentleman from the fast lane way too much, unlike BK, who likes to steal the fast lanes lineup game, I'm just yeah, going to no, give you the lineup. I'm yeah. just going to give you the lineup. That's I, what we're going to do like here. It. Maybe we'll do the lineup game. No, we're not going to do the lineup game because I've already looked Should at it. Should we do the lineup? No, we've already looked at it. It's over. Dylan Carlson's leading off. Paul Goldschmidt batting second. Nolan Arenado at third. Tyler O'Neill batting cleanup. He is back in the lineup today. Yadier Molina batting fifth. Tommy Edmonds sixth. Harrison Bader seventh. And Edmundo Sosa batting eighth. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Tanner's going to tell you why that means something very important. But for now, Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. You text us questions, we will give you an answer, or at least try to. Let's start with this one, boys. What would it take to acquire Craig Kimbrell from the Chicago Cubs.
5: Well, we heard Jesse Rogers say yesterday that uh, his example was Rizzo to the Brewers because he makes perfect sense because they don't have any production at first base. And he said that it would cost you basically a pretty penny because you're in the division. So basically, I think what the Cubs would say is we want... One of your top, one of your top prospects, maybe two of your top prospects, if we're gonna, actually maybe three, if we're gonna deal you in the division. We'll we'll take Yikes. Gorman, Libertor, and Jordan Walker. That's really we're not expensive. Jordan Walker, he's awesome. We just talked to. Yeah, him. he is awesome. If you he's miss a- it? Go check it out at 101ESPN.com. Podcast presented by. I promise. Ching.
4: Hit it, oh. Marshy. He's got it
5: marshy's better than you on i'm that not one. sponsored very often um, so look i don't wah, know if it, i don't know
4: if it costs that much that's really expensive but you are dealing within the division um and just reading the tea leaves here chicago cubs are going to be moving their third baseman they have patrick wisdom but is he the full-time answer i would imagine that the chicago cubs would probably say give us either thompson nolan gorman jordan walker one of these guys for Craig Kimbrell and frankly I just don't know if that's worth it for how much money Craig Kimbrell is owed after this season because he's got another year doesn't he mm.
5: thought he had
4: another year with this with Might the Chicago be an option, Cup if I'm not mistaken they signed him to a ridiculous amount of money and he's in awesome the, right now in but... the
5: middle of a season too to yeah. add to that
4: all right uh from the 314 Alex if the Blues came into next season with Landis Gogger Kachuk Mike Hoffman and a new defenseman are we on the same level as the elite teams so Landeskog or Kachuk, your top left winger. Okay. Resign Mike Hoffman, or I'll say resign Jaden Schwartz. One of those two, and get yourself a defenseman. This person misspelled Jamie Alexiak. Oh, come um, on, text line. But if you get those three, yeah, I would put myself on the elite level with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, let's be honest here. The things that this Blues team lacked last season was a scoring presence in your top six, other than Perron and O'Reilly. It was depth of scoring and some of that is the injuries that took place and some of it was just a really harsh season for a Jaden Schwartz and being big in your own zone. Like those are the three elements that you're missing. So if I'm going to compare this team to what the Tampa Bay Lightning just did and you got to find a way to score on Vasilevsky, you got to find a way to shut down Kucherov, then if I'm getting those pieces... I don't know. I would consider this team on the elite level with those teams. What about you guys?
5: Do you you think they need a Hoffman or a Schwartz? I understand what you're saying of adding depth of scoring, but I'm almost looking at if I don't get those two, but I was able to get someone that's willing to go to the front of the net that would fit on that second line or or in the bottom six either or, then I I think you're fine if you add the elite defenseman and you get a – a Matthew Kachuk or a Kuznetsov. To me, you'd be fine getting just Kuznetsov, Kachuk, or a defenseman. I don't know if you necessarily need to bring back a Schwartz or a Hoffman. Uh,
4: well, yeah, you're getting two elite players in that circumstance, and I don't think you're going to get Tarasenko or you're going to get Kuznetsov for Tarasenko. I think you got to be thinking less than that. But yeah, if you were to get a player that's relevant with a Tarasenko trade, I'm assuming this situation is saying you either sign Landeskog or you trade Tarasenko yeah. to try and get Kachuk. Yeah, and so. by the way, Kachuk's not getting Tarasenko. I'm just telling people right now, that's not happening.
5: <laughs> wow, way to ruin the <laughs>
4: I know, I'm so sorry. The uh, the beat writer, and I apologize because I forgot her name, Haley Savlin, I believe? She's for The Athletic, covers the Calgary Flames. She put a piece out earlier today that basically stated, from her reporting, Calgary's really not considering trading Matthew Kachuk unless they're blown away. And I hate to break it to you guys, but a guy who's making $9.5 million and has three shoulder surgeries and is not dis- are outspokenly displeased with his team, Yeah, that's not going to get you Matthew Kachuk.
8: No. Well, if you look at the Blues roster right now, and what has been the problem over the past couple of seasons, they don't have like a pure goal scorer. Tarasenko was that, but now, obviously, he wants out of St. Louis. So if you bring Mike Hoffman back, he might not fit into what Craig Berube's style is. However, he is that pure goal scorer. There are players on this roster that can get the job done. But if you bring in a guy like Landis he fits that mold of... A hard-nosed player, but can also go to the net, get a body in front, and hopefully, you know, bang a rebound or two or anything like that. But this team lacks scoring—that scoring touch. We've seen that over the past couple of seasons, and that's really been their downfall, other than the 2019 run. You know, maybe this
4: is more on me. So shame on me for not doing this because I shot down the possibility of Gabriel Landeskog but now this is starting to make a lot more sense to me if it happens. And Shane O'Brien, who is a part of a podcast called missing curfew with him, former St. Louis blue Scotty Upshaw and a former NHL or Jimmy Hayes. They broke the news. Basically the rumors of Matthew Kachuk possibly wanting out to go to St. Louis. Well, he brought up another possibility and Landis Cog's name was connected to St. Louis. Take a listen.
3: Landis Cog. If he doesn't sign with the Colorado avalanche, The St. Louis Blues are interested. What do you think? You think Landis Cog, if he doesn't resign with Colorado, him and Factor played together when Landy won the Calder Trophy. I was there. They had great chemistry. They're good buddies. I think the Colorado Avalanche resign him. But if he can't resign them, boys, listen, I saw them play as rookies O'Reilly and Landis Cog, right? They had chemistry right away. They're both their game. It fits each other. They're both not speedsters. Landy can go get pucks, can see the ice. So I think he resigns. But if he doesn't, I'm sure Uh, uh, Oppie's boy army will be calling
4: And again this is on missing curfew Uh, Shane O'Brien former NHL forward This is a rumor This is not any facts He's basically stated in this It's their segment called the rumor mill But O'Reilly and Landeskog Buddies And when he won the Calder trophy in 11-12 22 goals 52 points Ryan O'Reilly 18 goals 37 assists 55 points could be looking at a dynamic duo there for your top line are you
5: saying there's a connection
4: i'm saying there's a chance
5: how good a chance are you gonna, uh, are you gonna, gonna go 95 no, we're not
4: going 95 on this
8: one let's I go say 90. how about
2: uh,
4: that Are you gonna 90. go 90 marshy yeah 90 for o'reilly oh i see what 92 for Landeskog.
8: Huh? Oh, so huh? 91 if you want to get in that little range
4: well, right in the it, sweet spot it all comes down to Landeskog wanting to stay in colorado and taking less or if he wants to go get paid and go elsewhere because I'm with Shane O'Brien. Strictly a rumor if Landeskog hits free agency how do you not look at St. Louis and say okay this team's missing some pieces. I could be that piece. They won a cup. Colorado didn't win a cup. Ryan O'Reilly's there. If Doug Armstrong's willing to pay the man the money you could be looking at a match made in heaven there with those two.
5: Yeah he makes so much sense in the world. It's going to be fascinating to see whether or not that if Colorado can bring him back if he's willing to be in Col- wants to go back to Colorado if he's willing to come here and play with O'Reilly i think if you can get him that that clearly clearly fills in that top left wing spot and then that's you can just put a check mark by that and then army's got what two or three more things he's got to accomplish in the offseason yeah defenseman and then of course moving on from vladimir
4: a lot of money if you go for land of sky but i definitely think that addresses your biggest need and that's a top left winger to play with o'reilly and perron thank you so much for the questions air comfort service text line cardinals and cubs start their three game series today 121st pitch no paul DeYoung in the lineup which means edmundo sosa starting which mean T-Bone might have another terrible take. We'll get to that next on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
0: What are you looking at in the future and what sort of pay? Not what we think that the Cardinals can afford, What do they believe that they can afford, and what is their flexibility going to be? Because they've got, I think, right around 70 million coming off the books after this season. Like you'll you'll have some significant cash that is off the books. Do you feel like you can spend it there? Do you feel like you need to add an arm? So where are they at as an organization
4: with this? That's the key. I think we're all on the same page that they're not going to be spending 300 million dollars on a Trevor Story. What? They're not going to drop 250 mil. On a Javier Baez,
5: unbelievable, really.
4: But do you start to consider that because of the struggles of Paul DeYoung? That was BT, of course, on the fast lane. It is BK and Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson in for Brandon Kylie, who's on vacation. He will be back on Monday. We got Andrew Marsh here as well. Of course, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk with former Cubs hitting coach Jeff Pentland coming up in our next segment. But Paul DeYoung not in the lineup today. Edmundo Sosa gets the start. We've talked a lot about this the last couple of weeks. The fast lane has touched on it. If Paul DeYoung is starting to become more of a bench bat rather than an everyday player. And T-Bone, you texted me last night and you said, I have a segment idea and it's going to come down to if Paul DeYoung is starting or if he's on the bench today against the Cubs. This might be a terrible take, but we'll let you go.
5: I don't know if it's a terrible take. I I think that Paul, I don't want to say Paul DeYoung's time is up here in St. Louis, but I think today might be the start of seeing Edmundo Sosa be your everyday shortstop for a time. I, I don't know if he will do, can do that for the entire year. I think you give him a shot and let him run with it. We've seen the spark that he has provided. He had a three-hit performance in one of those wins in San Francisco. He's looked good defensively at second base. Paul DeYoung, in my opinion, has taken a step back defensively. We've seen a couple of misplays in San Francisco. Sosa, in his last 10 games, 320 average, uh, 826 OPS so I, I think today with them having Sosa in the lineup, especially coming off an off day, now maybe there's something behind the scenes that we don't know about about Paul DeYoung. Maybe there's a little bit of back tightness or something. I don't want to speculate there. But if he's healthy and they have put him on the bench for tonight, today's game in a, a series that we talked about in the open of the importance of it. You know, if you lose two of three to the Cubs, it might be signaling that you're going to become a seller heading into the All-Star break. Yeah. I think them putting Sosa in the starting lineup today gives us an idea that they have benched – bench is probably too strong a word – that they're going to give Sosa a run as their everyday shortstop and have Paul DeYoung come off the bench.
4: Yeah, I don't know if it's benching him because that essentially means that he's going to be your bench bat for the rest of the season. And and Stalter talked about this on the crossover yesterday with us. And, you know, at the time when the question was asked if you can come back from being a bench bat, like being sat – Rather than starting every day, I was thinking, no, there's no way you come back from that. Like, that's a confidence killer. But Stalter's right. Like, you can come back from that. We've seen it before. Matt Carpenter accepted a bench bat role and then was starting again. Now, was he great? No, obviously not. But you can come back from something like this. Now, you know, the last two games, he started both of those against the San Francisco Giants. Now, it wasn't great. He got one hit in eight at-bats. But it's a little... I'm a little curious as to why he's on the bench after a day off yesterday, and you are not playing him in the series starter against the Chicago Cubs. But for me, I think this comes down to Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and Tommy Edman. Before I sit here and say, well, Paul DeYoung is going to be a bench bat, Paul DeYoung might become a bench bat if the offense contributes in the other areas. Like Edmundo Sosa is the ideal hitter in your seven and eight hole. If it's him, Harrison Bader, whoever it may be, they're contact hitters. They get on base. they got some power. They can maybe drop a double or a home run here and there, but they're getting on base to try and start things over for the top of the lineup. But you needed Paul DeYoung to be your five-hole hitter. You needed Paul DeYoung to be possibly your cleanup hitter. You've had to shift things around and put Paul Goldschmidt in the two-hole and Nolan Arenado in the three-hole because it just wasn't matching correctly. You could go back to Paul DeYoung if Tyler O'Neill struggles there and hope that maybe the time off gets Paul DeYoung correct. And I do believe he'll go back as to being a starting shortstop at some point this season. But I think for now, your ideal lineup is what you have in front of you, where Tommy Edmonds, your second baseman, you're going to put Edmundo Sosa at short and see if he can start the rally over at the bottom of the batting order. And then you're going to let the outfielders play and try and get Tyler O'Neill to be consistent bat like he was at the beginning of June. Well,
8: do you think... Maybe Sosa's in today strictly because LeBlanc is on the mound, and like Tanner was saying, DeYoung's defense has regressed a little bit. So maybe they throw him in there, see where you know the defense you know can maybe provide a spark for LeBlanc today. But I mean, you look at his offensive numbers. I think Wrigley would be a perfect ballpark to get him going. We've seen some success from DeYoung in Wrigley. Maybe get a little win there, get some confidence going in him.
5: The other thing, too, and I, I'm i curious if maybe this is part of the thinking, too, is we're getting ready to go into the All-Star break. And, again, this could change if he's in the starting lineup tomorrow. But we're going into the All-Star break. I know he had time on the I.L. And we talked about it when O'Neill went on the I.L. He said, you know, I use th- that as a time to kind of mentally reset. Paul DeYoung went on the I.L. He came back. His struggles continued. And you're committed to Paul DeYoung for the next couple of years because he's under contract. So if you're the Cardinals, do you say, all right, Take this series kind of off. We'll bring you off the bench, and we will put Sosa in for this series. We get back from the All-Star break. You're going to be right back in the lineup. And we heard Brad Osmus when he was with us uh, a couple weeks ago, he mentioned how when he was in Detroit, he had Justin Upton, a veteran player, on a contract, and he went on a very cold spell, kind of like what Paul DeYoung has done to begin the season. And what did he say? He said, I told him, You're not going to be in the lineup. I'm probably not even going to bring you off the bench. You're just going to be here. You're going to sit for a couple of days. If you want to go in the cage, work on it. But I'm going to try everything in my power not to get you in the lineup to have you mentally reset. I I wonder if the Cardinals are kind of thinking of going with that approach as they start the series against the Cubs. It
4: could be. I I mean, it's what happened with Matt Carpenter before he went on that uh, that home run spurt, you know, where they were telling him, you know, the analytics are saying you're doing everything right, and he was hitting below 200, and they just kind of sat him here and there. And then, of course, he started to play a little bit more and started hitting bombs, did the same thing with Dexter Fowler where he was struggling, sat him for a while, brought him back. I don't think it was anything better, but it's a way to look at it. But I think this all resides on Tyler O'Neal and Edmundo. I mean, one, it's going to reside on Edmundo Sosa because you want the guy to hit. But I'm looking at Tyler O'Neill because Paul DeYoung was supposed to be that power bat. So if Tyler O'Neill starts to produce there, then I think you let him run in that spot, but you also let Edmundo Sosa run. I mean, look, the offense has found a way to turn the corner in the last couple of games. I mean, Arenado's hitting close to 300. Goldie's hitting over 300. So is Sosa. Nearly 300 for Edmund and Yachty. I mean, those are five big bats for you right there, and Sosa is included in that. So if Sosa continues this pace, I don't know if you pull Paul DeYoung back in. I think you keep him there because, one, it strengthens your bench. And what have we talked a lot about? You have no bench bat options right now other than Matt Carpenter. Maybe this can be a bench bat for you, and hopefully the mindset can get right after you take some time off. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start a game against the Cubs. I wouldn't be surprised if you just tell them you're sitting these three, going into the all-star break, get away, go to Florida, go to the beach, get some Mai Tais in front of the water, come back, second half of the season, and start to roll.
5: Now that's the way to mentally reset, get some Mai Tais Love by the Mai water. Tais.
4: Love Mai Tais.
5: Yeah, I, I you know, that's a good point because him coming off the bench, you look at the Cardinals, who's their go-to guy when there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound in a situation? It's, it's Carpenter. Matt Carpenter. You got your left-handed bat coming off the bench. Who's your right-handed bat though right now? Rondon? Yeah. It was it was Sosa at the time, but now now if you're gonna put him in the lineup, Paul DeYoung would be that guy to kind of turn to. I, I want to address a question from the six one eight. DeYoung is possible trade bait for something. Not I, this we, season. Not this season, and yeah. even in the off season, I don't know if he continues to struggle if he's trade bait because you don't want to sell a guy at his lowest point. And he's still got $6 million in 2022, two, nine in 2023, and then he's got two options in 24-25 that are club for 12.5 and 15. And Stoltz talked about it a little bit on the uh, crossover yesterday. He said, you know, you don't want to sell a guy while he's low. So I, I don't think Paul DeYoung is trade bait. Definitely, definitely not going into this season or going into the trade deadline. And I'll be honest, right now, I don't know if you – look to move him in the offseason. I know that shortstop has suddenly become this big question mark for the Cardinals heading into free agency and, uh, or heading into the offseason when you've got that big shortstop free agency class, but I just don't know if the Cardinals want to try selling on a guy at his lowest point when his value at one point would have been up there because he had the 30 home run season. He was an all-star, and he's just digressed from there
4: he's more of an asset to you than he is in a trade right now and I think you hope that you can turn the corner with him and then maybe address it in the offseason or if he turns the corner maybe you go back into it and say hey Paul DeYoung is the guy that we thought he was going to be it just is going to take a little bit of a different approach let's ask Jeff Pentland this he's a former hitting coach in Major League Baseball he was a hitting coach with the Chicago Cubs during that 98 home run chase between McGuire and Sosa Jeff Pentland is going to join us next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN along with Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario, no BK today. He's on vacation. He will be back on Monday. The Cardinals start a three game series out at Wrigley Field. And we are honored to now head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to welcome in a former Cubs hitting coach from 97 to 2002. He's been in the big leagues for a long time as a hitting coach. He is Jeff Pentland. Jeff, it is great to talk with you today. How are you, sir?
6: I'm doing well. Um, I guess the games start pretty soon, right? Yep,
4: starts at about one twenty, so we're about an hour away. And, Jeff, I'm sure you remember plenty of these Friday afternoon ball games between the Cubs and Cardinals. You looked forward to these, I would imagine, right?
6: No, I really liked the uh, Friday afternoon games. They were always at 2.20. And then, of course, back when I was the hitting coach, we played more day games and night games. So... Uh, I really enjoyed them, and certainly against the Cardinals.
5: Well, you were the hitting coach during that summer of 98 when we saw the home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. What was it like to watch those two guys go back and forth just hitting homer after homer? Of course, McGuire finished with 70, and then Sosa was just right behind him.
6: Well, it didn't start out that way. I think Griffey and and McGuire were head-to-head, and uh, Griffey Jr. kind of slowed down, and then Sammy had that mammoth month in June, and so it was game on, and um, it was it was extremely exciting um, because people would come out for their batting practices, and you know uh, if they didn't hit a homer, the fans were booing. Uh, you know, there'd be <laughs> 40,000 people watching both these guys take batting practice and uh, you know, I'd never been through anything like that in my life. Uh, And, and in a sense, it brought baseball back to the fans.
4: Jeff, at what point in that season did it start to become a competition between McGuire and Sosa? Because, I mean, we've heard each guy talk about the the home run chase and what that season was like. But, I mean, I would imagine if you're McGuire or Sosa, yeah, you're paying attention to what the other guy does, but you kind of have to mentally focus on yourself to make sure that you're still going out there and producing, right?
6: Well, players are huge routine orientated. So, you know, they have a time when they get up, when they, when they come to the ballpark. Uh, they're, they're very somewhat religious on how they do their drills, what time they do them. And, uh, um, you know, that part of it, I had to be really prepared to make sure that Sammy got whatever he needed as far as the work he put in. Uh, and, you know, Chicago was notorious for storms. And we had just a, a cage that was out in right center. And it, it it could be very miserable out there, water leaking out there. So, But we found a way to get to work in. But, uh, no, I, I think the one thing that I remember is, you know, when I was coaching at ASU, I would watch McGuire. I knew McGuire since high school. And we somewhat recruited him on the State. He went on to SC, hit 35 homers, which was incredible in those days. And then he started off at Oakland, and he ended up with the Cardinals. But, you know, Mark had a good feel for what he was doing throughout his career. Sammy, on the other hand, had kind of bounced around a little bit, would put up some good numbers here and there. And then in 98, it just kind of clicked. And uh, he struggled through May. Most of me, and then he just caught fire. And once he realized what he was capable of doing, I think he took over and, and just ran with it.
5: Jeff, you mentioned uh, the preparation that went in, into uh, getting the guys prepared for a game. I- I'm curious, as a hitting coach, you talked about the players and how they have their routine. As a hitting coach, how do you get stuff prepared for these guys, have it ready for them so they're ready to go out onto the field? How does that process kind of work for a hitting coach?
6: Well, it's different for each player. That's number one. And thank God in the big leagues you only have 12 to 15 players. <laughs> so, you know, when you're a coordinator in the minor leagues, you're dealing with uh, close to 200 players. So, uh in the big leagues, I never had to write anything down. I knew the players inside and out, and they all had different routines, and Sammy would always come in at the last. Uh, You know, there used to be a pecking order in the big leagues. I don't know if they still have that, but uh, the veterans got to choose the time they wanted to come into the cages, and when you're playing day games, I got the rookies coming in at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they didn't always particularly like that, but that's just the way it went, but now your preparation was based on the pitcher you were facing that day. And I might mention to Sammy, maybe we need to work on this area to play it a little bit more today. Uh, I would talk to him and tell him, you know, he's probably a high percentage of breaking balls in certain counts. And you just kind of make them aware of it. And there are times when Sammy would choose what he wanted to do. And, uh, We would have some arguments, you know, uh, uh, at times I would tell him we need to work, you know, more inside and he wanted to work more outside and, You know, we were like a couple five-year-olds going (laughs) on.
4: Well, and that's interesting, Jeff, because we've heard Mark McGuire and people that played with him or managed him at the time during that home run chase, and they said they just tried to stay away from Mark because you didn't want to get into his head. You knew how much what was going on, and Mark just kind of kept to himself. So, I I mean, I would imagine if you're trying to help out as a hitting coach, like there are going to be some scuffles that come into play, not just that season, but overall.
6: Well, I mean the the well what happens is the stress and the pressure of the situation I think gets to the player. You know, I was around and you know, uh I was lucky enough to be around a, a lot of good players uh through my career and they just have, you know, higher standards than the normal major league player and so they they get they get annoyed easy. Uh, you you kind of have to give them space because they'll erupt it any time because their focus uh, is incredible uh, as far as even one particular game. So, uh, uh, you know, the those big time guys, you got to give them space because they, they'll erupt. You say one thing negative to them, and 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 they might. Get it. Get all fired up, but uh, Sammy was a little different. He he was a, a personality. Uh, he enjoyed people. He liked being around certain people. You know, he had his own little clique that he hung out with. And there were times I'd come up to him, and and he would tell me get the hell away from me. But, <laughs> uh, well, because I I would feed him information, right, and sometimes he didn't want to hear it. <laughs> Uh, so I had to pick my spots (laughs) that way, but, uh, you know, in 98, we got together in 97 we didn't do a whole lot, but 98, uh, you know, I changed a few things and, and he really worked hard on, uh, slowing himself down and, and seeing the ball a little bit earlier. I mean, you know, he was, you know, he was an incredible talent. So, yeah. Uh, it's not like I was inventing the wheel. (laughs) But, you know, if if you don't see it, it makes it hard to hit it.
4: Right. We're talking with former Cubs hitting coach Jeff Pentland. A couple more minutes here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Jeff, from a hitting coach's perspective, in St. Louis right now, you know a lot of uh, people talking about the struggling hitting coach for the Cardinals because the offense is struggling. Uh, When you're a hitting coach and you have a group of players that are going through a little bit of a rut, what do you do? Do you stay away and try and let them figure it out themselves? Do you try and be more vocal and try and get them in the cages a little bit more?
6: Well, I think it's your main job. Uh, keeping players out of uh, lengthy uh, bad times or slumps. I think your, that's your main concern. Now you can use psychology of course, uh, but, with, but with the better you know with the veterans they're a little easier to deal with. Because you can take them on video, you can show them when they're really good, when they are struggling, or you can run it side by side, and they they understand their swings. So sometimes it's easier. We when I had Mark Grace, he was unusual because Mark Mark didn't miss the bad head very often. He would he might have lined out more than anybody I was around because he didn't quite have the pop that Sammy had. When when Sammy squared it up, he was usually on Waveland. Um, Mark could hit line drives or right fielders, center fielders, and it would it would bother him. So in in Mark's case, we'd give him a day or two, and then he'd get his head right. And you know, Mark was as about as good a hitter as I ever worked with. He just didn't hit for power.
4: Jeff, this has been so much fun talking to you and reliving that '98 home run chase. Thank you so much for taking some time out today. Enjoy the uh, the Cards and Cubs Wrigley Field if you're watching it, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.
6: Yeah, it's uh, it's a great series. Uh, all I remember is players seem to get up more for these kind of series than, than regular games, and uh, obviously the fans really love the series. No, it's been fun. Thanks for asking.
4: Yep, thank you so much, Jeff. There you go, Jeff Pentland, former Cubs hitting coach, longtime hitting coach in Major League Baseball uh, with us on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. And, man, I've always heard individuals talk that played with Mark or was around Mark, like Randy Carriker, who talks about it. They always said you stayed away from him. Like, when you saw him come in the room, you just stayed away from him. And hearing that with Sammy, it sounds like Sammy was more of like a guy that wanted to be around people but I can only imagine, like, coming up to a guy and trying to talk with them and being like, hey, let's go out here and work on this. And under the pressure that they're in, that would probably turn into, like, a, like a, a nightmare of a screaming fest.
5: Yeah, go, basically going, hey, you're you're in the home run chase. I get it, but let's work on the inside. Whoa, 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 yeah. what do you mean work on inside pitches? I'm in the home run chase. Yeah. I'm in the MVP
4: category. Going for 70. I don't need to work on the inside of the plate right now. It's
5: kind of like my dad who will listen sometimes when he's back at home, and I go, I go home like uh like July 4th weekend, and he'll say, you guys should talk about this one. I'm like, you're one of those? You're yeah. one of those that listens and then says, hey, you should talk about, you're not even in radio. What do you mean?
4: Well, Maybe you should start listening to him a little bit more, T-Bone. Uh, no, anyway, thank you one. so much for Jeff Pentland joining us. We're going to take a break and come back. Our Blues icebreaker question number nine. Are right, the Blues just a pandemic team, and that's where the struggles came from? We're going to get into that. And Army working on an image with this Blues team going into this offseason. All of that comes up next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast.
4: Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario. BK, he will be back on Monday as he is out on vacation. We'll get into the junk drawer coming up in just a bit. But now we get to question number nine of our 10 big off-season questions for the Blues, the Blues Icebreaker. How much of the pandemic played into the blues struggles? This was an argument that I made post-bubble at the beginning of the season
5: this past year for the Blues. Was it when me and BK said they weren't going to make the playoffs or was it Yeah,
4: uh, probably that? because you said it all season and finally showed you guys wrong, didn't I? Booyah! Anyway, yeah,
5: not really a sweep.
4: This conversation actually kind of got a little bit heated between all the three of us because BK was very strong on the fact that the pandemic has nothing to do with this for the Blues. The Blues just were a bad team and they needed to find a way to come out of it. Me personally, I felt like the pandemic played a massive role in this last couple of years for the Blues. Now, there's a couple ways of looking at this because if you look at their record 42 19 and 10 that's what they were before the pandemic hit in the 1920 season best in the central division one of the best in the western conference second most points in the national hockey league then the pandemic hits the bubble happens and the blues start to really struggle they go 2 and 7 in the bubble everyone's wondering if Jordan Bennington is not good enough to be on this team Last season, they go 27, 20, and 9, and they get swept in the first round by the Avalanche. As much as I want to say that the pandemic had a lot to do with this, I also think personnel comes into this. Agreed. Especially when you go to nineteen twenty, when you had your basic cup team, minus Pat Maroon and Joel Edmonds in the addition of Justin Falk, but Alex Petrangelo was there. It's a massive thing for this Blues team, and you had Jay Bomeister before that big injury hit, and you had Alexander Steen, before that big injury hit. But I do also believe, and I still believe that the pandemic had some type of role into the Blue struggles because it's a mindset for a group of guys that like to go out and enjoy themselves, like to go out and spend time together. It's what basically won them the Stanley Cup for how tight of a group they were and you didn't have that this past season. Now, you still got to go out on the road, but you were locked in your room basically. You couldn't meet up unless it was in the hotel room. It was a much different season. D- this upcoming season is going to really prove my theory on this, and I know a lot of people disagree with this, like you Tanner. But for some reason, man, it just didn't feel like a normal season these last couple of years, and I still go back to that 1920 season where they were the best team in the Na- in the Western Conference. And then once all of the regulations kicked in, once the pandemic took over, the Blues just looked like a completely different team.
5: Yeah, see, I don't know how... I, to me, the pandemic, the factor into it didn't play that huge role. And the reason I say that is just because everybody went through it. And that's BK's argument, too, is I, everybody went through it. And you look at Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is able to power through not only this season to win it, but maybe the toughest challenge of all is winning it in the bubble because you had to stay up there so long. You're locked in your hotel room. You go to practice... And then you, there's, you don't see your family, and you're up in that bubble for that long. And then this season comes around. And sure, you're not in a bubble, but there's still some of those restrictions. You can't travel on the road. What's Tampa Bay do? They go out and they win their second straight Stanley Cup. To me, it's more on the personnel side than it is about the uh, pandemic having a factor. Because I'm with you. You, you lost Bo Meester, You lost Petro heading into this season. And then you'd also lost Pat Maroon. Let's not forget the effect he had on that Blues team. And then you also lost Alexander Steen. And then the other factor that played into this year, along with the personnel, was just the injuries, too. I mean, this team was so beat up. So I think Armstrong looks into this, coming into this season, and doesn't say, no, this was a good team. It was just the pandemic effect. I think Army looks at this and says, you know what? I think we had some of the right pieces. Injuries played a factor, but we can improve our personnel and get even better.
8: I think it's both the pandemic and the fact that look at the past two seasons and the off seasons that they've had, they really haven't had one. You win the Stanley cup, you have a full off season of having fun and then you get back into shape. And we thought they might have a a little, you know, a little drought there for the better half of that next season. I mean, you just mentioned it. They were first place heading into the pandemic. If you want to say that. And when that happens, you lose all that momentum that they had. Think of Scandella the way he was playing with Pareco They mm-hmm. were unbelievable before. That's why pandi- he got a contract extension. Exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then the next thing you know, they're running into each other. Yeah. And then Elias Petterson's putting it in the back of your net. So, I mean, you could say it is personnel and it really is. But when you, you have all that buildup, you have weird off seasons, that's going to translate into injuries, which is exactly what we saw. And it's happening in the same thing with the NBA. We've mm-hmm. seen so many injuries within the NBA it's just there's no amount of rest that this team there's no regular rest this team hasn't had that kind of rest in the past two seasons.
5: The thing I just don't buy into is that well the you know the shorter offseason I can understand that but then you say well they had the the pandemic offseason the pandemic this it, everybody had it it's not like it was just the Blues had this pandemic issue no every every club had it all 31 NHL teams had the problem so I, I to me you cannot use that as I don't want to say an excuse but as a point to say all right, here's why I don't want to go make a move, or here's why I believe in this. It's because the pandemic caused this. There can't be that cause and effect, in my opinion, of here's why we struggled, the cause, the or whatever the game is, because of this, and it was the pandemic. To me, you can't do that.
4: Well, I think it's important to understand, and we got a text from the 980, Alex, if you're going to blame the pandemic for how bad the Blues played in the bubble, then, how, then you're basically saying the reason Tampa won was because of the pandemic. No, that's not what I'm saying. Tampa won because they're an awesome team. The pandemic affects teams differently. You can't look at a team and say, oh, well this team had success and they went through the same thing. They might've been able to handle that better. I mean, if you look at individual performances and I'm not going from a team perspective, I'm going from individual performances. Robin Leonard was outspoken about how much a pandemic affected him. Now, was he great this season? Well, his team found a way to make a cup run and he was okay, but he wasn't what he was when he won the Vezina. It affects individual players. And if you take one piece out of your lineup, then it's going to affect everything. Remember when the Blues returned from the pandemic? I mean, they had a lot of guys. Now, they never really came out and spoke about this, but the report was that there were multiple players that suffered from COVID, and you saw the fatigue factor in the bubble. Then there's the fear factor, and I just mentioned it. Robin Leonard was one of them. There were a lot of guys who were afraid to come back in the season because of the pandemic. I'm not saying that the Blues got swept by Colorado because it was a pandemic year. What I'm saying is the Blues were not as good as they are supposed to be because I think the pandemic has more of an effect on that team than it did other teams. Tampa found a way to battle through it. I don't know if St. Louis was able to because of individual performances. That's why, and again, maybe I'm the one that's the dummy here because more like Marci said, this could be a mix of everything. You can't just pick one spot. But this upcoming season is going to really tell you something. Now, you can always go back to the personnel side of it, which I think is important to discuss. But if you get to a normal season where, you know, you got guys who can go out and enjoy themselves or you have guys that can be out at hotels or go out to bars or just be in the locker room together without the COVID protocols, well, then you might have more of an effective team. So I'm not taking anything away from Tampa Bay. I'm not taking anything away from other teams. I'm just saying you can't say, oh, well, this team was awesome in the pandemic. So why wouldn't the Blues be? Because I think it's an individual effect more than it is just a full team effect.
5: So with that being said, the individual effect and how does that kind of affect army how does army go into this offseason and he says okay well this guy didn't play it like uh we talked about i think it was yesterday we talked about you know barbershop barbershop we thought could he be a top six forward at one point were some of these guys that kind of had that step back or didn't live up to expectations because we played the cut earlier where he said three guys were lived up to expectations yeah others have to improve how much does army weigh that going into this offseason did, did, did player a not perform up to expectations because there was a pandemic can he get back i to think we'll we never
4: know that because i don't think the players are going to be i mean it's an excuse and i mean people are texting mm-hmm. in, oh you're just making excuses ferrario yeah it's an excuse but it is something that affects people that's the part that people forget you know there's the athlete there's the person it's going to affect everyone individually and it may have an amoral effect i think what you just said t-bone comes down to doug armstrong and craig berube sitting down with each individual player and they do that at the exit interviews with each player they talk to him okay what went right what went wrong what do you think we need to improve we learned on Rivs and bk about a year ago that basically doug armstrong found out that the team needed that enforcer on the fourth line and they went out and they signed kyle clifford so I think to answer that question, it's going to come into the off season interviews that they had with the players, which maybe it makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't. I just think it's very, so it's something that you have to continue to keep in the back of your mind that going into 19 and 20, the blues looked like they were ready for another cup run pandemic hit. And then you had a completely different team once they returned to that bubble. And then it kind of flipped into the off season and then went into last season. So we will have to find out once it uh, once the Blues get into uh, this upcoming season to see if it makes a difference.
5: And real quick to kind of add to your point, the three one four, the pandemic also didn't allow fans. Our team thrived on fans. That's that's partly true too. We know that the Blues have talked about in the past uh, the the atmosphere there at the Enterprise Center. They didn't have fans for a good chunk of the season. Even when they did, it wasn't at full capacity. Yeah. And the Blues struggled at home this year. We we talked about their, they were better on the road than they were at home.
4: Yeah, I mean, and that's a massive thing for a lot of teams. I mean, Montreal players even talked about how strange it was to go into uh, Tampa with a full house. How strange it was to go into Vegas with a full house after they played in an empty stadium in Montreal. And then when they finally got people back in their their stadium, they find a way to win a game, and then they lose in Tampa. But regardless, and six one eight, right? There's no way to logically prove or disprove your point. Correct. That's why it's such a hard topic to get into. But I do think. People need to open up their minds to that a little bit more and not put so much pressure on, oh, well, this is a terrible team. Let's wait and find out. Because if you get back to some type of normalcy, maybe next season they can compete like they did at the beginning of the nineteen twenty season. We'll talk about the Blues offseason with David ponoda coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, we're going to dive into the junk drawer here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
1: Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario.
4: Cards and Cubs, about 20 minutes away from first pitch out at Wrigley Field. It is Kyle Hendricks, the man who always seems to know hit the Cardinals against
5: Wayleblong. Okay, blah, blah. we didn't need that. By
4: the way, Javier Baez is now playing for the Cubs. What? They said that he did some work in the field this afternoon. Oh, that's cheating. He is now in the lineup. No Chris Bryant. Hopefully. He will be out of course the for the rest cheat. of the Dotted weekend. the lineup,
5: he's hurt. Oh, look at that. He just so <laughs> happens to be fine, even though he game planned without him. We'll get come into the board,
4: Cardinals board. maybe changing their mindset come trade deadline time in about 15 minutes or so. But T-Bone, what do you got for us today on the junk drawer, buddy?
5: So I found this, and I actually had this article for a junk drawer a couple weeks ago, and then I lost it, and now I just found it again. So wow, how about well, that? It's what's... like it's like finding a dollar in your pants after you wash them. It's like such a great feeling, you know? Mm. What's it like to not be have money? And it sucks. <laughs> but this this is kind of the claim yourself that a stick this... of gum
4: for a dollar. Okay.
5: <laughs> back in my day. But but now of course, when you you go on a plane and you got the seats kind of just back to back and you always have the you're fighting for leg room or you're you're kind of crammed because someone wants to lean their seat back. How about this? They're talking about for the future of flying a design in which it's kind of uh I don't know if I want to call it the stadium seating, but it kind of has a concept like that. It's called the double-decker. So what they will do is they will have a pair of seats that kind of sit down on the bottom, just kind of like a normal level. And then what they do is the row that's in front of you, they will propel up, and then that way a seat can lean back or these people are up in front of you. The problem is, though, based on what I'm looking at, I hope you don't get any of that plumber uh, you-know-what showing from the people that are maybe above you. A plumber's and crack? And you can see, yeah. Oh, I was thinking there was a little more of a... No, it's plumber's crack.
4: What's wrong with that? Nothing You wrong know, with I, that. I
5: was a little afraid I might say something else. Look,
4: I don't like flying already. <laughs> if you're going to start changing up the seating arrangements on me, I'm out on
5: this. Oh, but you're gonna have you're gonna have like leg room. I you don't can care. Let, look how nice this I don't looks. want to look, yeah. so it's basically somebody sitting above you. Yeah. See, Hell so no. You're basically looking at this person's tush. What happens if somebody
4: had Taco Bell and a bean burrito <laughs> before they got on the flight, and you're taking an eight-hour trip to Hawaii? That means that uh, you're would, eating a. That bean That means burrito. I'm taking the bean burrito the rest <laughs> of the trip. <laughs> okay. Look. That's not it happening. Might be flawed. That is not happening.
5: I, I don't think that doesn't look that bad. You know, you can like kind of relax. I would, I would probably prefer to be on top. But what rather happens is you get
4: the person that doesn't like to wear shoes and socks on the plane and they decide to take them off and dangle those well, feet see, right once, in front once of tonight,
5: you. Well, no, because like they're going to have their feet in front of them. So they're not going to really dangle in front of you. No, it's not going to be. This is a perfectly this is a terrible acceptable decision. Concept. I already hate flying
4: and I'm never, never going to get on a plane if that's flown, the case. So I can't really.
5: I think I'm going to fly He's in never September Never No. I well, would you mom, just go to Illinois and that's it. No, sadly, no. My mom doesn't like flying, so anytime we go on a vacation, we drive. So, like, example A, we went to Charleston, South Carolina, and then to Savannah, Georgia. Drove back 14 straight hours. I've done Savannah. That's not a bad went trip. Went out to the Dakotas. That's a long trip because you know it's in Dakota? I'll give you a hint. Nothing.
8: I did to do that. I went to school up there. It's true. North Dakota and, alum over here. And it was a long drive. Thank you. And in a very expensive flight too my wife and i I brought up
4: we're going to disney world next september and so we brought up the idea it's like why not just try and drive we shot that down real quick because we took the trip to branson and that didn't go well with the baby we're going to michigan tomorrow that's a seven hour drive or six hour drive I'm worried that's going to be a nightmare.
5: Well, with a baby, I think my max would probably be three hours. Without a baby, my max for now on is going to be six or seven. And then I have to stop. It would probably take a day to mentally reset, and then I can go back on another trip or another six-hour drive, I guess.
8: Driving's great when you're going to your destination. Let's say you go on a Friday and you come home Sunday. Sunday is the worst day. You do not want to step in a car. The easiest thing to do is get a flight. Fly home unless it's a double decker flight
4: because i am not getting in that i will drive anywhere you want me to drive on that one that is not happening From the
5: 628 drive to vegas absolutely gorgeous 26 hour drive i am that's a
4: 26 am, hour drive i
5: am going i am working on getting plans set to go to vegas in september but i think i'm gonna fly though rather than drive
8: and that's what i'm saying you're going to vegas there's no way on earth you're no. going to want to drive home I'm sure the
4: site would be cool to drive to Vegas because you're going through a little bit more of an enjoyable area rather than going like to the Dakotas where you're basically looking at cows and grass and trees the entire trip. Windmills. Yeah, like Vegas might be a little bit more enjoyable, but there is no way. My max in a car. My wife and I took a trip to Mackinac Island, which is the peak of Michigan. Like we're, You're looking at Canada if you're in Mackinac Island. We took this trip when we were dating in college, and it was a 13-hour trip. That's and by good. about seven hours, I hit the point where I said, this is the dumbest thing ever. Let's stop and never do this again. We, we continue the rest of the way. I was
5: going to say, did you just like stop no, and turn no, around? We,
4: well, fun Actually, story. We're is,
5: done. I'm tired of driving. So we're just going to do the same amount of
4: hours back home. No, fun story. Her uncles live in Saugatuck, Michigan, which is like the cutoff point. Like that's the seven hour mark before you go to Mackinac. And so we were like, why don't you stop here? We stopped for lunch and then we kept going. Mackinac was terrible, hated the trip, and so now what we do is every July on her birthday, we go up to her uncle's place in Saugatuck, which is what we're doing tomorrow. So that's how you fix the problem. But back to your story, I'm never getting on a flight that somebody is sitting above me because God
5: only
8: knows what happens.
5: That is the one negative, though, because that person is legitimately looking at the butt.
8: Wait, let me see that. Uh, Let me get a good look at that again.
5: I mean, look at that. I mean, you're basically staring right there. And yeah, but there's
8: like there's backs on the, the seats, though, so maybe it'd
5: well, be covered. Is, you know what backs don't
8: protect? Beefy Bean Burritos from Taco Bell. Challenge,
6: that's what
4: they don't protect. Challenge accepted. That's a weird challenge to ask for. We will take a break and come back. Let's find out what David Panota thinks of the Vladimir Tarasenko situation. He's a host and analyst on NHL Network Radio. He's the editor-in-chief of the fourth period. David Panota is joining us next here on BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario
4: with Tanner Hendrickson and Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie off today. He will be back on Monday when hopefully we'll get a little bit clearer of a picture of what the Blues' decisions are going to be because you will be less than five days away from the trade waiver freeze before the expansion draft. The expansion list is going to be sent out on the 18th and then of course you have the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken on the 21st. So a lot of decisions that have to be made for Doug Armstrong and the biggest one is Vladimir Tarasenko and to talk about that we welcome in David Poyota of the fourth period. He's the editor-in-chief. He is also a host and analyst of series xm nhl network radio and he joins us now on the brown and crouppen celebrity line david it's great to talk with you again buddy how are you today
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
4: Definitely. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on because we got a lot to talk about. And we'll start with the Vladimir Tarasenko uh, circumstance right now for Doug Armstrong. You know, earlier today you put a tweet out that said uh, you're understanding that some teams have requested and received his medical records. So let's just start here, David. What do you think the interest is in Vladimir Tarasenko now that he is asked to be traded away?
2: Yeah, well, this, this has been going on for a couple of weeks now to at least get the ball rolling and then obviously it comes out um, that that it was an official trade request. Um, so my from from what I've been gathering is that there are definitely teams interested in in Vladi trying to make something work here with teams that are considered playoff contender type of clubs. Uh, the New York Islanders certainly one team that's de- definitely in the mix, uh, but there are going to be others, and there are others that are poking around to see if they can try to make something work here. Now his cap hit 7.5 million. The money itself nine and a half million in salary next year five and a half in the final year. I don't think the money itself is is a major concern. It's it's more the cap hit. Uh, likely getting back similar type of money coming back to to St. Louis. I don't see this being a scenario where he's dumped for you know a couple draft picks or something to that effect because the teams that are looking at him right now, uh, as I mentioned, are clubs that are that are contenders and a lot of them have you know some cap restraints themselves. So. The the the, the, do, the the ball, excuse me, has definitely been rolling on this one, and it wouldn't shock me if we see something happen before the expansion draft, before the lists go in on the 17th uh, at 4 o'clock local. It, it's not a guarantee by any stretch, but the, some of the teams that I've heard, it, 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 to them, whether it happens before or after, uh, there, there's no restriction from that perspective.
5: I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned the cap hit, and we've heard a lot of – kind of stars in the NHL with trade requests this year we've got Matthew Kachuk that we're hearing rumors about in Calgary we've got Vladdy now here in St. Louis Seth Jones Uh, you've got Jack Eichel in Buffalo how with those names on the market and then also the fact that we have a flat cap how much does that kind of tie the hands of Doug Armstrong and teams around the league that really would be interested in going to get guys like this
2: yeah it it makes things it certainly makes things difficult from from this perspective Um, because as I mentioned if you're if you're Moving out seven and a half million. A lot of teams can't take a. They can't take the full hit on, and, and B. If they can take on, say, you know, uh, bulk of it, let's say five million, there's still two and a half that they have to figure out exactly how they want to offset that. That are they going to request St. Louis to retain some salary for the next two seasons? Are they asking for another player to go back? Um, and, and then at that point, you know, is it a player that they're looking to buy out? Uh, so all of these, all of these different elements kind of come into play here as part of these discussions. And um, it, it's, it's played a factor here. Now, I, I know, as I mentioned, there are teams that, are just, that, that have been in trade negotiations with Doug Armstrong on the player. Um, you know, I don't know definitively if something is, is on the horizon. You know, we're going to see something over the weekend or if this goes to next week or after the expansion draft um, around the, 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 the time of the draft itself. Um, but there's definitely been some, some discussions, prolonged discussions, between the blues and, and the other teams that they're just that they're having the conversation with. Um, and all of these different elements have, have certainly been part of the equation because of the flat cap era that we're
4: in. We're talking with David Poyota, editor-in-chief of the fourth period, host and analyst at NHL Network Radio. Uh, David, this is the interesting part, too, with Doug Armstrong because, look, they they got a team that underperformed this past past season, uh, a team that really struggled to find offense, and if you're trading away your former 40-goal scorer, you're obviously looking for more offense. How does Doug Armstrong negotiate through this with this offseason? I mean, with Vladdy, are you trying to find an asset that can warrant you some type of offense? Or are you just really looking to find a team that would be willing to eat as much of that salary as possible?
2: I think it's a combination of, of trying to make the money work along with trying to fill a hole, another hole on, on the roster. So, trying to bring in another asset, you're not gonna. This isn't gonna be a scenario where you're moving out, you know, Tarasenko and bringing back a similar caliber player. No, I, I don't think um, that that's the case. So if you are bringing somebody back, you're likely bringing in a middle six forward that is gonna, you know, step in for perhaps a Mike Hoffman, for example. Maybe he plays in in that type of a role, or you look at someone third or fourth line, excuse me, second or third line that can slot into your middle six, and you know, depending on how else. The money works. If there's another asset, then you figure that out from that point forward. But I think it's a combination of moving out money. Um, you got to figure it out and have it work with the other team. But you're likely bringing back a player that is, is you know, second, third line, middle nine kind, kind of player, middle six, excuse me, uh, kind of kind of asset because it allows you to then pursue perhaps another forward up front via free agency or perhaps, again, the trade market while knowing that you've got some free agents that you're probably going to lose uh, starting the 28. Let's try to fill some holes elsewhere and then try to fill the offensive and, and uh, goal void in some other manner.
4: You know, that's interesting, David, because the Blues do have other trade chips if they decide to go that route. I mean, we've heard the name of right. Vince Dunn. Dunn brought up an awful lot. We've heard the name uh, Robert Thomas brought up an awful lot. How— How aggressive do you think Doug Armstrong and other general managers will be before that list is due on the 17th? Because I would imagine if you're going to make big moves like that, try and go hockey trades, you want to make those before the expansion draft so that you can protect the guys that you need to. Or maybe do you see a scenario where there's an agreement in place before the expansion draft? You protect the players that you need, and then you start making those deals after the expansion draft.
2: Yeah, it, it really comes down to how uh, hamstrung or tight some of these teams are with respect to their rosters. And you know, if, if there's the risk of losing a player, uh, you know, via the expansion draft, then you try and, and you're trying to do a two for one or something to that effect. Uh, then you try to, to, to squeeze that deal out at the same, you know, prior to the expansion draft. While at the same time, also talking to Seattle and their GM Ron Francis trying to cover your butt a little bit and say, okay, if this deal falls through, then I got to figure out a way to protect this asset in some fashion. So I don't lose him to Seattle for nothing and then figure out the trade, uh, a trade element afterwards. So it's, it, it's a tough scenario. and it, it, It's a tough um, uh, predicament for a lot of these teams. And it's hard to kind of get a good read on what direction each team is going to go in because some teams, as I mentioned, are utilizing, uh, you know, a couple different plans in place. They're 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 talking to their primary, you know, whatever trade discussion they're having, and then they're trying to also create a backup plan, be it Seattle or even some other teams that are willing to retain some salary for those clubs that are a little cap uh, heavy.
5: I, I want to jump back, David, real quick to uh, Vladdy again real quick. Uh, we were talking a little bit during the break. What happens if Army can't get the value that he thinks that he deserves or wants in a trade with Vladimir Tarasenko? I mean, do you feel like there's any chance that Vladimir Tarasenko could be back on this Blues roster come next season if they can't figure out a trade? And if so, then what do you do? You have a disgruntled uh, star that doesn't want to be here.
2: Right, exactly. You have to outweigh that. So you certainly need to understand what the market is. And, and I think by this point, uh, him and the staff have a pretty good idea of what type of return they could potentially be getting here. Um, you know, if, if everything falls through, then you have to sit back and you have to regroup and then pursue things after free agency. Maybe you go to teams that lost out on a couple players, and you you, you circle back with them to say, all right, well, we still have this guy. He could fill a void for you. Let's try to make a move. Because I think the discussion between the player and the team seems to be pretty set in terms of where the future is, and it it certainly is pointing towards out of St. Louis. And I think both sides are trying to make that work. Um, But, you know, he also has a full no trade, so there is going to be – you know, he has a say in where he could potentially end up. Um, And, you know, if if something doesn't happen now, maybe he's, you know, forced to expand his his horizon a little bit. Um, But that would be something we would probably see, I would imagine, closer to, the start or right after the beginning of free agency.
4: We got a couple more minutes with David Poyota, editor-in-chief for the fourth period, host and analyst on NHL Network Radio, is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. David, final one on Vladimir Tarasenko that I want to ask you. Uh, we, we've we heard the rumors of some teams that might be interested. You know, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Penguins' names have been brought up. Are there other teams that you think make sense for Vladimir Tarasenko and for Doug Armstrong to take a look at?
2: Uh, I mean, you're, you're looking at clubs that, that are are looking to retool or similar to, you know, similar to St. Louis that are looking to retool or juggle, juggle their rosters a little bit. You know, there's so much talk out of Philadelphia that they are looking to not only, you know, shake things up, they want to remain competitive. So I could certainly see a scenario where a team like the Philadelphia Flyers have had discussions with St. Louis uh, and saying, okay, well, we're looking to make some moves. We've got some pricey guys. You're looking to move out a pricey guy. Is there a potential marriage here that could work? That, that's certainly one team that I would not be shocked uh, if, if they've had discussions with St. Louis to this point. Uh, and then you look around the league to see who has the hole up front in their top six that needs to be filled from an offensive weapon perspective. You know, Toronto is an interesting one for me uh, because they're going to lose, by all indications, Zach Hyman. Now, he is a left winger, and, and glad he shoots left and plays the right side. I'm curious to see if a team like Toronto, for example, gets in the mix uh, to, to try to see if they can replace offense in some fashion. Now that one becomes a lot trickier because of how tight they are with the cap. So you'd have to imagine a player coming back, uh, at least the player coming back in the form of an Alex Kerfoot, who's got 3.7, uh, excuse me, 3.5 million on his deal, and you got to figure out money in some other fashion. Uh, that might be a scenario where Tor- Toronto requests St. Louis to retain salary as an example. Um, but there are going to be teams that have those voids up front. That are definitely gonna be talking to St. Louis to try to figure out how to potentially make something fit and work here.
4: And David, final one for you. We've talked a lot about this off season and a big offseason for Doug Armstrong. You know, we've talked about getting bigger on the blue line, we've talked about scoring, and then we've also looked at that top left wing position. Uh, who do you feel like makes sense for the Blues? You know, we've brought up Gabriel Landeskog. We've heard the Matthew Kachuk name brought up. Jack Eichel's name has been brought up. Frankly, if he's played left wing and can be a top winger, his name has been brought up to St. <laughs> Louis. Uh, but it does seem like that's the biggest need for Doug Armstrong. And does it seem like yeah. he can make a acquisition for that this offseason?
2: Well, he's certainly going to try. I mean, and that's why I think, you know, the Tarasenko return will likely fill another hole on the roster um, that, that allows him to not... You know, have to pursue something. They've got one area that they're going to fill up, if if they're losing out another player, and then that, you know, turns the focus, the primary focus, to to that left side. Um, you know, I I wonder if, you know, if I'm if I'm St. Louis, and you mentioned some of the trade chips that they have, I'm looking at this going. This is potentially more. Uh, uh, there there may be more opportunities from a trade perspective to fill that void than looking at free agency. You know, I don't think. A Taylor Hall, who's also a left winger, I don't know if that's the direction they want to go in after you know, the experiment with Mike Hoffman didn't really work, so I, I could probably see, I- I see them more likely going the trade route than free agency, but again, he's going to certainly, and his staff are certainly going to explore all their options to see what could fit there, um, but they got to figure out Tarasenko first, and then look to see how they can bring in some additional offense specifically on that left side. It's
4: going to be an interesting off season, a big off season. And I know the work is just beginning for you guys over at the fourth period and on Sirius XM uh, NHL radio, David, thank you so much for taking some time today, man. Hopefully we can catch up again throughout this off season and uh, enjoy this, uh, this craziness that will be the expansion draft.
2: Yeah, it should be an interesting one. You guys too. Thank you.
4: Awesome. There you go. David Poyota, the uh, host and analyst on NHL network radio editor in chief of the fourth period. I think that's where you're looking at this is this this upcoming week. It's going to be a crazy one, but he's right. I think your first priority is finding a way to move Tarasenko. So, again, cross off the hope of getting a Matthew Kachuk with Tarasenko because I don't think that's happening. Oh. I know. Sorry. And people, somebody texted in earlier and said, that, nobody's saying that forever. No, they are saying that. I've been asked that like 16 times today. Oh, what about Tarasenko for Kachuk and put this? Hey, Someone really fine. threw out Zach I mean, Sanford, a second-round pick, and Tarasenko for Matthew Kachuk. Turn off forced who trade mode on no. NHL 21 because that's not reality. But look, if you can flip Tarasenko for a guy who could play on your second left wing, who can be a third-line player for you and bring you some more offense, then you've just addressed another hole that you needed to address. Then you can look at, say, okay, how do we acquire this top left winger? Do you go Gabriel Landeskog? Do you go Brandon Sod? Well, first of all, do those guys hit free agency? Then you go to, okay, what's our trade pieces look like? Because you have Vince Dunn. You could move Robert Thomas. You could look at a Tory Krug who has a no trade clause. There's a lot of ways that you can go about it, but your first step is to get get something for Vladimir Tarasenko, And then you address the other holes.
5: I thought it was interesting that he said he thought that the Blues could be more of a player via free or via the trade market rather than free agency. Because that would make me kind of get the get the sense or kind of this feeling of Maybe the Blues or maybe just national people as a whole kind of think Landis may not be hitting the market or Sa may not be hitting the market, yeah. which which makes me then jump to where he said, where he said, you know, maybe they will with their assets. Maybe they do go and play into that trade market. They've got the first round pick, which is 16th, 16th if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. The
4: highest they've had since they drafted Schwartz and Tarasenko in draft.
5: So there's a piece right there. You've got Robert Thomas that we've kind of talked about. So I, I am kind of curious. What was that laugh? No, for? sorry. I,
4: I love the sense of humor of the text line. Air Comfort Service, text line 65780 from the 314. Tarasenko, Clifford, and a third. Who says no? Devs. I assume everyone. everyone. Yes. You could check. Yeah, <laughs> everyone. Clifford <laughs> <laughs> <Literally. laughs>
5: says no. Text line is going to be fine. Everyone. We're gonna sign Alex Ovechkin. Eddie's going to be fine. <laughs> no, we're not.
4: Speaking of roster moves, the Cardinals have some decisions to make when it comes to their trade deadline. We've all talked about starting pitching. If that doesn't happen, do you alter to another route? We'll get into that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the
1: BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
4: Talk about Miles, you know, an all-star. You know, Jack and Cy Young consideration the last couple of years off to eight and one start and easily in that conversation for this year, definitely on his way to an all-star game. You know, Miles an all-star in several years ago and Carlos with two. So yeah, I mean, those are pretty strong pedigrees and um, experiences not only in the regular season, but in the postseason that are not on the club. And, and um, we got to figure out create solutions. There you go, that's Mike Schilt who Basically, said the team's struggling in the pitching market. What? Yeah. They, they don't have anybody who can pitch right now. That's where their struggles have come from, T Bone. They don't have pitchers.
5: Kimmy, they've gotten the best out of them Baltimore guys. It's unbelievable. By the
4: way, we had somebody text in and said the Cardinals have great pitching depth. They got plenty of guys building up in the Baltimore Orioles system. Enough out of you. That's true, text line. So look, the Cardinals need pitching. And. They've shown that today by signing another pitcher who was on the free agent market. It was Luis Garcia, who was uh, released a couple of days ago from the New York Yankees system. Hasn't pitched since 2020 with the Texas Rangers.
5: But He's going to be in our circle of trust he's, when Spie
4: back. He'll be in your circle of trust. Anyway, if you can't get a starter at the deadline, which for right now sounds like it is way too expensive to go out there and trade for a Kyle Gibson, A Max Scherzer, frankly, anywhere you want to go with a starting pitcher, these guys are expensive. So do you switch and look at the receiver or the uh, relievers market? And I think this makes an awful lot of sense. And BT talked about this on the fast lane yesterday on the situation. If they don't go starter, could they go reliever?
0: There's going to be a lot of guys in the race for Jose Barrios and uh, Pineda. You mentioned Kenta Maeda. The Twins are are, are selling off different pieces. Uh, The Rangers, Kyle Gibson, everybody's going to be on him. I think that part of it's going to be really difficult to acquire a starter that's going to end up making a difference. I do think you can shorten games. And for Shilty and Mad Dog, you're going to have to make all of the right decisions when it comes to your bullpen. But I don't think they have all the right pieces right now. I think you have three guys at the back end of the pen that you really trust. I believe that Ryan Helsley is getting himself uh, into this group. Outside of that, you're flipping a coin with a lot of different players. I'd rather have less coin flips in my bullpen and more sure things, or at least more veteran experience that pound strikes, that profile the way that we profile as a team, who
4: is Throw strikes, use your defense, right? So that's what I would be looking at. Uh, That's what I'd be looking at, too. It makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, you did that with Wade LeBlanc. It's just you're throwing the guy into a starting position because you don't have any other options right now. But I'm not going to be giving up any of my top prospects just to get a guy and say, I got a starting pitcher. And I'm not going to give up top guys for a guy that could help me. But at the end of the day, you still don't have depth of starting pitching and your offense struggles. So... I think i'd be looking at the reliever market as well and if i'm looking at that market i'm looking at guys who have length on their contract who have possibly a couple more years that could be a part of your team in 2022 because what have we talked about if you're not going to win this year you got to try and go for the year after
5: yeah i i think this makes a lot of sense and that's why when we when we first started talking about the trade deadline back in kind of like early june I've been on the bandwagon of go get some relievers. Go get one or two. It just feels like kind of a John Moselock move. And the whole argument, uh, the pushback that I got against it was, well, when you, if you have Flaherty and you go get another starter, you're going to go deep. You only need the big three. Well, how realistic is that? I mean, it's great if Flaherty can go seven innings. It's great if Wayno can go seven innings. But we got to get to the postseason. And especially on a rotation now that is on, f- I don't know if on fumes, but... Is beat up, and you've got I think it's two starters from your original starting five in the rotation from opening day. Then, then you have to to me look at getting some reinforcements for the pin because BT said it perfectly. You trust the big three. Ryan Helsley's been good with inherited runners on, but he's not good when he starts an inning on his own. So to me, you look at it and you say, who do I trust back there? Really, nobody else. And we kind of saw that in that game against San Francisco, game one. You didn't have Reyes, you didn't have Gallegos, and the Cardinals kind of had to. Piece things together. They had Cabrera there. Justin Miller comes in and gets like his fourth career save in like seven career opportunities. So I-, I think going out and adding two bullpen arms is going to be the perfect recipe for this Cardinals team for now. Because you get until August, and then you can get a Jack Flaherty back, a Miles Michaelis back, possibly a Carlos Martinez back. It just depends on how his thumb's doing, and if it's still attached, by the way. <laughs> but you get you get two more bullpen arms, and all of a sudden. Your starters aren't pressed to, okay, we need you to go probably six because we can get about an inning to an inning and two-thirds out of the big three of each of them because both of all three of those guys can go two innings probably. Now it's, okay, we can, we can get to a fifth inning and we've got two other guys that we've went and acquired for probably not a very big price tag, as you mentioned. And you can say, okay, I got five innings out of, let's use KK as an example here. His numbers, he struggled against the lineup going through a second time. He doesn't have his best stuff today. Let's go ahead and just pull him. And I trust these final four to five guys to finish this game up. And then also, on a day where maybe Reyes and Gallegos are burned, you don't just have one guy back there in the pen where you go, oh, boy, man, we really need to get seven innings out of a starter. No, you have another two guys reinforcements that you can say, okay, we can go to them. And one of the guys I want to point out that I that I had on my list. Well, when yeah, we did this. Well, yeah, that's where I was going to go
4: with this. I mean, what are the like? We can talk about this all day long. Like, oh, we need relievers. We need relievers. Well, you're not getting Craig Kimbrel. You're not going to go out there and get a guy who's a closer. So, who are the guys that you can go out and actually acquire that can help your bullpen?
5: Well, one guy that I had on my list when we did this back in June was Michael Givens from Colorado. He's two and two, two point oh, six six Oh, Jesus, 16, not right? another
4: Oriole. That's another Oriole. You're doing this on purpose. They develop pitching.
5: No, We've talked don't. about this. He was terrible. Text line. come on, support me here. Wade LeBlanc, uh, Waddle, Waddle. You don't
4: even know the damn guy's name.
5: It's a, it's fine. Hold on. Who's this Michael Gibbons?
4: He Michael Gibbons. He's in him.
5: Colorado. He, I, yes, he he's pitched well this year, and if you look at his numbers, going, he's pitching in Colorado. So get him out of Colorado. I I, I look at him and I say, you know what? He to me looks like a. Decent solution that you could add to that bullpen. He's probably not a guy that you put in a seventh, eighth inning role, but he can be the sixth inning guy that you could bring in. Another one that I like, and I had him on my list back in June as well, is Ian Kennedy. He's making uh 10 million and 21. becomes a free agent next year, but he's really kind of he's a veteran presence. You can mm-hmm. go get a veteran. He would be up there with kind of the Andrew Miller, who's a, I, if I'm not mistaken, the only real veteran you have back in your bullpen. Go and acquired Ian Kennedy, probably wouldn't cost that much. He's one of the, gonna be one of the best relievers on the market. He's got a two point eight six ERA. Again, he's a little old, older I like him. I like Michael Givens. Uh BT, I know yesterday when I was listening to the Fast Night, I mentioned Dylan Floyd. He would be an interesting one because but he's still got about four years left to control. So he's that's where that gets a little tough with him. Yeah,
4: I, I like the Michael Givens. I, I know I give you, you know
5: he really problems of the Baltimore, but the sure. guy
4: actually numbers are are not horrible. Um Ian Kennedy's good because that's a guy who could give you innings. I'd be a little concerned with the age, but, I mean, look, you've got Wade LeBlanc who's dealing for the Cardinals last couple of games. I'll tell you the one that's interesting to me, and I, it won't happen because it's within division, Richard Rodriguez from Pittsburgh. He's been really good. Because I've heard teams that, like, the Dodgers have been looking into this, uh, the Astros have been looking into this. Uh, he's arbitration eligible eligible next season, but he's a free agent in 2024, so you have a couple more years of eligibility with this guy. And on top of it, I mean, he's been dealing this year for Pittsburgh, and that's not a great team when it comes to the pitching side. At the end of the day, what we're talking about here, it makes a lot of sense. You're not going to get starting pitchers for what they're commanding right now, so you alter the direction of going relievers and you stack that side of it. Does that make you a World Series contender? Heck no. But what it does is at least it takes some pressure off of your bullpen arms, and like you said, T-Bone, you can find a way... Um, to adjust your bullpen so that certain guys are in certain situations, which sets you up for success going forward.
5: And as much as we say, well, you know you want to get a quality start. What do we talked about? When the Cardinals have struggled, they don't get a quality start. When they get a quality start from one of their starters, it usually goes well because they can get to the big three. If you, You're looking to kind of cut down on some of these games where you're losing because you're not getting that quality start out of your pitcher. So like today, we've got Wade LeBlanc going. I would be stunned if Wade LeBlanc goes six innings. So if— in a game in which you have your big three available, you'd like to get at least four or, or at least five out of LeBlanc, and then he can cover the—those big three can cover those final— the sixth, the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Yeah. But then the problem becomes, what do you do the next day if one of them throws a bunch of pitches? Let's say Reyes throws 40 pitches today. Let's say Gallegos throws 33 pitches today. Your goal is going to be adding relievers can just shorten games, and I, I think that's a very important part of this for this team. And and look, think back to the postseason of the last couple of years— Sure, the Dodgers had Kershaw, they had Bueller, and we talked about those guys and how they pitched well. Year, But what was it that we talked about, too, at those teams? Tampa Bay was really good, not just because Blake Snell, because their bullpen was really good. Yeah. The Dodgers had a really good bullpen. They had Julio Urias coming out of the pen, and he was lights out during the World Series in that playoff run. That's why I think, to me, as much as it is that the Cardinals need to go get a starter, looking at the market, there's not a lot out there, minus Gibson and that's basically about it. I don't think Scherzer going to be out there. So Gibson's the best guy available. His price is just going to keep going up as we get closer to July thirty first. Cardinals don't want to trade some of their top prospects. What do I do? I'm going to go see if I can reassure the bullpen. And let's not forget, 2011 is kind of what they did too. They, and I know we don't want to. I don't want to compare the two teams, but they went out and got an Octavian Dotel. They went out and got a. Uh, Mark Zemchinski. Yeah, I think that's a
4: different situation though because your starting pitching was so stacked you had to fix a depleted area and they found a way to do that. But, so.
5: uh, but you look at the Cardinals and you get Flaherty back and let's say he's back to himself. You've got a decent one-two combo right now, especially the way Adam Wainwright's pitching. you got Jack Flaherty who was going to be an all-star and you've got Adam Wainwright.
4: Yeah. Well, It'll be an interesting dynamic, and again, I think that all really resides on this Cardinals and Cubs weekend series, and right now it's 0-0, zero, zero, top all of the right. first. right, we're doing well. There's uh, already some controversy as a fan stole a for sure out, I guess, away that was on the wall in the foul Quote territory unquote, off of sure Jason out. Hayward, and they called it out. Mike Schilt was mad. We already see that this one's got some fire qu- underneath qu- question
5: it. question for you. How's it a for sure out when the outfielder turned his head before the ball was caught? Well, ask uh, Bartman about that. Who's Bartman? Steve Bartman?
8: Never heard of him.
4: Really?
5: Yeah, me neither. Neither was of you guys had... have heard about this guy? Was that another uh, old movie oh quote? Oh, my God.
8: You guys are terrible. You mean the green turtleneck guy? that <laughs> Ended up costing the Cubs the World Series who, in 2003? That's
5: who he would be. Or a World Series just track. That trim. was before my time. I think just I was one. try to pronounce his name right. I, nope. I, Steve Bartman. Know, T-Bone's yeah. just not old enough to understand. I mean, I was in diapers when that occurred. My Air bad. Comfort bad.
4: Service text line is 65780. You send us four options. We'll tell you which one has to go. One Gotta Go is next here on BKM Ferrari on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
7: Count that that big pen. Well, now I think
4: we might have an official AKO situation, and I'm not calling an Alex KO. I'm calling an Marshy KO an oh, Andrew do you Marsh, go, Marsh KO. What do you said? Do you know? He said he was hoping for a uh, solid start from. Way LeBlanc, four straight balls. First wow, hitter. Wow, Marsh.
5: Uh, you, Marshy. Welcome. I'm a very
8: superstitious person too, and you know this. I know, that's true. So we,
4: I'm we mad at myself. Little peek behind the curtain here. Every Blues game before the puck gets dropped, Marshy and I throw paper balls into the trash can, and if we make them, means it's going to be a good night. He we miss? missed a lot of them in the playoffs. Yeah,
5: we <laughs> did missed you miss a lot. did you miss four straight? We
4: missed a lot of them in the playoffs. No, that's not fair you, from you, UT Bone at do all. Do you
5: think uh, BK BKO'd an airport? Because, you know, he's on vacation. He flew out yesterday. I, I didn't hear anything about delay. so well, I, We haven't
4: heard from him yet, so I he guess everything was fine. He's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Andrew Marsham, Alex Ferrario. It's One's Gotta Go. You send us five, four options. We'll tell you which one has to go. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Let's start with this one, boys. One's Gotta Go takeout sandwich edition subway jimmy john's jersey mikes or penn station one's got to go subway jimmy john's jersey mikes
5: penn station t-bone we'll start with you well, i do enjoy subway uh jersey mikes is good get a good chicken season wrap penn stations actually you know i just had penn station uh for the first time not like about a month ago really the first good. time yeah what's wrong with you i know uh, I think I'm going to get rid of Jimmy John's. I like it, but it just kind of... They're freaky fast.
4: What the hell's wrong with you?
8: And they have free smells,
4: too. Yeah. You they tell me what? a place that has free, free smells.
5: smells. What is that? You can
8: walk in and, and smell, smell for the free.
5: Yeah. Does no, every place have that?
8: No. You've never walked in, smelled it, and then walked Left. out? Nope. No. Walk in the subway and try and smell
4: something for free. They'll say, no, you got to buy something.
5: Okay. All well, right. So I'm still going to get rid of Jimmy John's. Terrible.
8: Marshy? Uh, I'm actually also going to get rid of Jimmy what? John's. Look at this only guy. Only for the fact that... I, I just, I said something about it—the the way that their sizing messes me up. What? The, the size? There's not the 12 inch or the this, you know, the 6 inch. It's literally.
5: Is that, is that a, what? That's what she said? Or no. No,
8: it's not. Oh. It's literally just like big, small. Which okay, Penn that Station is. does that too? <laughs> what she said. Penn Station does that too. But Penn Stations, have you ever had their cookies? Oh yeah. And their lemonade. It's a good. dynamic talk about, you duo. Talk
4: about soft cookies. Whew. That's where it is, guys. The proper answer here is Subway.
5: Come on. Subway's Subway easy, Subway though. Hasn't it's been a, good man. It's, it's just really good. Hasn't Look, they're changing y'all? their menu. Did you see yeah. that? I don't
4: care. The ultimate is Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's Jersey is Mike's where is it really goes, good. man. That's number one for me. But yeah, Subway's got to go on this one here. One's got to go. Household Plumbing Devices Edition. I'm assuming this means you can't use this. Basically, you don't have it. Toilet. Shower. Sink. The washing machine. One's got to go. Toilet. Shower. Sink. The machine. Washing machine I feel
5: like this is easy
4: Maybe I'm wrong This
8: is easy for me If you say toilet I'm going to
5: punch both of you I'm in saying the stomach. toilet I can go in the woods You have I can woods at go- your house? Yeah Well Yeah Actually I do Yeah No I could go in the woods I, I feel like I need a sink Because you gotta wash dishes you, uh, you, you gotta wash your hands You don't do that in toilet water I mean That would be messed up uh, sink, of course, has got to stay. Washing machine, I want clean clothes. I, I, the shower, you got to keep the shower. I don't, I hate where you wake up. Maybe you didn't get a shower the night before after doing something, and you're hot and sweaty, and that great. Terrible so.
4: decision. But I'm okay. gonna say get
5: rid of the toilet. I can take a dump outside and pee outside. Oh my god. I think I
8: don't know if we're on the same page here. It's 1,000 percent washing machine. What? You can wash your clothes in the sink yep. and then dry, air dry them.
5: Yep. What do you need a toilet for? To, go to, the to go to the bathroom. You How? can go. You if you go to the bathroom, the woods. if you go
4: four times in a day, it's gonna start to fill up. Who's cleaning it up in the woods? You're just gonna have a, a
5: Nature?
8: woods full of poo.
5: Nature? No, it doesn't degrade. Mar- what right. do you think
8: people used back in the day? They didn't have washing machines.
5: What do you think they used as a toilet back in the day? They didn't have a toilet.
4: That's way back no, in the day. See, I think the sink has to go. What do you need a sink for? Wash your hands in the shower.
8: No, but you can use the sink to wash your clothes. You, you know, you dip it in there, and then you air dry it, and you string it up on a string outside, and you
4: no, air well, you dry can do it. everything in the sink. You do in the bathtub, or you do in the washing machine. Turn the washing machine on, put your hands in there, and start washing them. Sink's got to go here. But that was the dumbest decision I, ever, Tanner. I can't Tanner. believe
5: there's so much hate Tanner, against Tanner. That
4: you. was the dumbest decision ever. Okay, a couple of more from the six three six. One's got to go. Sitcom edition. Oh, this is my wheelhouse: The Office, Friends. Seinfeld, Parks and Rec The Office, Friends Seinfeld, Parks and Rec T-Bone, one's got to go You probably haven't seen any of these, have you?
5: No, let's see, I've seen Friends, I've seen Seinfeld I've seen uh, parts of The Office Never seen the full thing I don't know if I've ever seen Parks and Rec I think I'm going to get rid of Parks and Rec Because I've seen parts of The Office, I enjoy it I enjoy Seinfeld And uh, Friends, I've seen Friends And I enjoy Friends, so I'm going to get rid of Parks and Rec T-Bone, or uh, Marshy Yeah,
8: I'm also getting rid of Parks and Rec. Friends, I mean, it's a classic. Seinfeld, one of the best sitcoms ever. And then The Office, I mean... Well, you all are correct on on this one. It's a
4: clean sweep for Parks and Rec, but you're all incorrect on them saying that The Office is not the greatest sitcom ever. The Office is the greatest sitcom ever. MASH is the
5: greatest sitcom all right ever.
4: final one because in honor of not having did you say mash yeah you how never seen Mash. are you
5: oh mash is so good the best you sound like chris kerber there
4: <laughs> all right we have to end this one bk style here one's got to go st louis food edition because someone has to be hated t rav's emos pizza gooey butter cake st louis style ribs one's got to go t rav's emos gooey butter cake
5: St. Louis style uh, ribs. I'm not answering this one first because I don't. I want to see what you guys say. Marshy, you
8: want me to go first? Go first. Oh, this one's tough. I think I gotta get it. I gotta get rid of the ribs.
5: Whoa! Now that's a bad take.
8: That's a bad
4: take. All right,
5: what are you getting rid of then? I'm getting rid of the gooey butter cake.
4: Oh no. my God! no the proper answer is saint louis style ribs you can get you can get yeah. all the other ribs you can get, get ribs somewhere else yeah. but
8: this is what you have you have your appetizer and yep. T-Ravs. you have your main course in emos pizza and then you have your gooey butter cake to to finish the deal yeah
4: you're ugh, terrible and decision. it's not ribs a sloppy so it's and not a yeah, sloppy Yeah, you don't have to get dirty with those you can't. Finger food, you're good to go from this one, except for the ribs. Get the ribs out of here. I'll take other good ribs in this one. So Tanner takes over the honor of BK and wow, Samu's really really hatred thought there. going
5: to be a better or a By the way, from opinion. the
4: 618 MASH, now I know Tanner's an old man, my dad's favorite TV show, too. Ladies and gentlemen, Tanner Hendrickson. We'll Great come back show. and cross it over with Jamie Rivers of the Fast Lane next here on BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN.
1: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
4: On the program today, we chatted with Cardinals prospect Jordan Walker. We also talked a little Vladimir Tarasenko with David Poyota and talked a little uh hitting coach with Justin Pendleton, former Cubs hitting coach. You can check it all out on the podcast, 101 ESPN.com wherever you get your podcasts from. Just thank you to our friends at I Promise for those podcasts, as it's the bottom of the first right now, and Jock Peterson. Just got uh, TKO'd. Oh, baby. Nope, oh, yeah, never yeah, mind. Yeah. See, uh-huh. look what happened there. So, so TKO uh-huh. happens. TKO happens, Jamie Rivers, as we cross things over, because what did Tanner say during the commercial break? Well, he literally said the Cardinals going to lose, first of all.
3: That's true. the
4: Cubs are going to, uh, what did he say? He said that uh, uh, Wade LeBlanc is going to get out of this inning clean with the bases loaded and only one out. Yeah. And now three runs were just scored. So the ladies and gentlemen, the TKO is a real thing, just like the BKO is a real thing. Rivs, how you Stay doing, out, buddy? Guys. I'm good. How you guys doing? Doing fantastic. So, apparently Tanner's very upset because of our one gotta go segment. Your favorite segments on Fridays. Yeah. So, the option was do you to get rid of one option in household plumbing devices. Okay. Toilet, shower, sink, washing machine. One of those four have to go. Now. Okay,
3: so wait a minute. Let's let's, let's let me let me think about this. So, toilet, toilet
4: shower, shower, sink, sink, and the washing machine
3: washing machine okay so i'm feeling like i'll get rid of the sink okay and here's why is because whatever i need to use the sink for i can use the shower for pretty much i mean it's not a perfect substitute but it is a substitute washer i don't really want to hand wash things and all that come on shower well that speaks for itself i mean hygiene. and then toilet like i don't know where you're where you're going to sit on the throne? I mean, do you just park that thing in the kitchen sink? I'm not sure. <laughs> calling up a Decker. Go- I was
5: going outside.
3: So uh, I would say the sink would go. Now, what did you guys You know, say? that's a
4: genius pick because someone else really smart in here said sink me. Oh. Um, I liked Marshy's answer. Marshy said you could get rid of the washing machine and you could wash things by hand and hang it up. Um, and then, of course, Tanner decides to uh, get rid of the toilet. Get rid of the toilet. You got rid yeah. of the toilet. T-Bone, I, talk to me.
5: I, <laughs>
4: <laughs> Are there problems at home, buddy? Yeah, I'm not
3: sure what's going on. Talk to me. Break it down. I, I, can,
5: I can go outside and use the bathroom. Uh-huh. You know, I, I go outside. I can just pee in the woods. I can you drop can. the drawers and take well, the dump outside. In fact, okay, but, I think it kind of helps nature. Isn't that kind of like nutritious? Yeah,
8: decomposing.
5: Yeah. Maybe. I don't think it decomposes Maybe. I think the neighbors
3: kind of sp- would frown upon it. I mean, well, as a, you know, they George they were a next door is having his morning coffee and Tanner's having his morning
4: dump right in his front yard over a barrel. Or, like, you know, and you just walk outside one day to barbecue on a Saturday and you're like, man, why does it smell like poo yeah. out here? Oh, it's because Tanner's okay, turned this into his own
3: bathroom. Oh, it's I, the what? Hendrickson compost.
5: <laughs> <laughs> when I was God. presented the question, <laughs> when I was presented the question, I wasn't thinking about the neighbors. Well, Clearly. Clearly I guess I'm kind of a selfish all. guy. Clearly no, you can, you can survive without the toilet. Someone
4: made a, also a great point. How are you going to go outside and take a dump at 2 a.m. in January? Oh, that's a good one,
3: You'll too. You'll
5: go a lot quicker.
4: You will go quicker. Um,
3: yeah, I'm still going to stick with my yeah. pick of getting rid of the sink because I, I feel like I can accomplish everything that I need in the shower, even if I had to wash dishes. It's just water, right? I mean, yeah. So, yeah, uh, the toilet is by far the worst one to get rid of. I'm sorry, Tanner. I can't believe you guys.
4: Someone said Tanner said poop is nutritious for outside LMAO. <laughs> I don't think it's nutritious for the outside. Well, Compost. at one point it may have been. May, yeah. Maybe back in the old days when Tanner was a uh, a young lad. Huh. Uh, Jamie, uh, real quick, I want to ask you this because this was trending on Twitter. Marshy brought this up to Uh-oh. us at a commercial break. Did you see what happened with Rory McIlroy today on the golf course? Where the guy took his club, guy or something? walked up out of the yeah. fan. He just started pulling clubs out of his bag and started to walk away. Well, yeah. Would you have the cojones to do that? Well, no. I mean,
3: would I have to do it to Rory McIlroy? Yes. Yeah, that's That's a good um, point. Would I do it? No. And what I couldn't believe was the reaction. Of right? McElroy and what was the other guy, Dom? Uh, no, I think it was Dustin jo- Johnson. Oh, I was think it, it was Dustin Gretzky's John- guy. I'm not sure. And then the caddy? Yeah. Like they just watched him. Like my first reaction
4: was, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Like touching a guy's golf clubs is like touching a man's barbecue pit. You don't do it unless you ask permission.
3: Well, and it's, you know, an artist's paintbrushes. Like it's this guy, it's his personal yeah. uh, tools for his trade. And so, yeah, I wouldn't walk up to. Um, the plumber next door while he's working or the electrician and while he's sitting there take his tools and go work on something at my house right i think he would be pretty pissed i think he would
4: too frankly i guarantee
3: I'm... he would have said something this is where i was like I, well, they're just watching this guy yeah. do
4: it frankly i'm a little disappointed in rory for not going over and like tackling him yeah, like, like happy like gilmore style the
3: gym a couple days a week you yeah, know like walk while. over move what's up dude we want to do this
4: you watching ufc tomorrow
3: night i can't i can't wait who do you think wins it I think Conor McGregor is going to just bash his I head do too. in. I mean, the the mental warfare that has started and and him posting the Twitter stuff of Poirier's wife messaging us, yes. it's just fantastic. I mean, and to Conor McGregor, his point, he's like, the first fight, I, I was me. Second fight, I was super nice guy promoting his hot sauce and donating to charity <laughs> and doing all this stuff. And it looked like that. It looked like he got into the the octagon and was a super nice guy about yeah. it and he got beat. And now he's gone back to being, you know, his prickly self. He yeah. left the wife and kids at home, said, I don't need the distraction and now I'm just going to verbally assault Poirier and his wife and everybody that they're associated with, oh, and I'm <laughs> going to send him home on a stretcher is what he said. So am I going to watch? <laughs> You're darn right I, I want to
4: see somebody go home on a stretcher. That's a Jamie Rivers specialty. What oh. do you guys got coming up today on the fast Line, buddy? Well, we're going to talk about Big Daddy Vladdy again today. There's certainly a lot of stuff to dive
3: into. We're going to revisit the certain... Uh, allegations and and where it all went wrong. We're going to talk about the possibilities of the expansion draft and how Doug Armstrong could manipulate that with Vladimir Tarasenko. We're certainly going to talk about the current Cardinal situation a little bit as we get on. we got Matt Holiday coming on today. He's one of our favorites, so he'll have a lot of fun with us as
4: well. Fridays with Matt Holiday. Well, it's been a fun show today. Again, check it out on the podcast, 101ESPN.com. I will not be here next week. I'm headed to Michigan. BK will be back. It's vacation, man. you got to go on vacation. Are you going before to the... Michigan? i going to Michigan. Whereabouts? Yeah. Uh, Saugatuck, Michigan. Douglas, oh. Michigan. Beautiful. Right nice. below Grand Rapids. Nobody yeah. well, at the G-Rap, beach. Oh, baby. Oh, I love it, baby. You know all about Grand Rapids. I do. One, One game. Legend in Grand Rapids. Jamie One game. Rivers. So BK <laughs> will be back on Monday. The Fast Lane is coming up next with Jamie Rivers and Anthony Stalter and Brad Barnes here on 101 ESPN.
1: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Powered by I Promise. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. When you need auto parts, OReillyAuto.com is just a few clicks away. We offer convenient options for you to get your parts quickly. Order online and pick up for free at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. We'll even bring it out curbside. Or you can have your parts delivered right to your door with free shipping on most orders over $35. Visit OReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.